What is it you need to know about implementation before starting your digital transformation? That's what we're going to cover in episode number 150 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling. This is the weekly podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology sides of change. Again, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. This podcast has new episodes every Wednesday uh, at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can find new episodes as well as all the past episodes of this show. And the show is produced by Major Tom Productions and sponsored by Third Stage Consulting. So thank you for being here today. And joining me today, as always, is uh, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. And, and excited to have you here as well. Excited to have the audience here today and excited for the, the show we're going to cover and all the guests that we're going to have on here today. Uh, I've got an action-packed episode. It's really honing in and focusing on implementation, the software implementation side of digital transformation. That's what we're going to cover here today. And uh, that's the focus of today's entire episode. We're going to start off with some general questions from the audience about implementations to begin. And then also in the opening segment, we'll get into a couple hot topics that are related to implementation. Uh, one being cloud vendor lock-in. We're going to talk about uh, vendors locking in customers and what the, the consequences of that might be. We'll also talk about nine steps to effective implementations. So be sure to stick around for that. That'll be in the opening segment here uh, as we get going here. And then later in the show, we'll have our first guest, who is A.V. Verikar, who is the CEO of a company called Avero Advisors. He's going to be on the show with me to talk about implementation planning and what you need to do to get ready and to plan for any sort of software implementation you might be pursuing in 2024 and beyond. So that'll be a great segment. He's been on the show before. It'd be great to have him back. In fact, he'll be here live in the studio with me. Um, which is unusual. Usually people join remotely, but he'll be here physically in the same studio with me. That'll be fun. And then later in the show, uh, we're going to continue on this thread of software implementations by talking about implementation red flags. We'll play you a clip of a video that Kyler recently produced um, to talk about some of those red flags. We'll talk about uh, with Nate Stroher from the third stage consulting team, we'll be talking about early warning signs of trouble during an implementation. So again, back to this theme of how do we get ready for implementation? How do we plan for it? What are those warning signs we need to watch for? We'll have Nate Stroer on the show to talk about that. And then we'll also uh, talk about implementation readiness and how do we get ready for implementation? How do we know if we're ready? We'll have Greg Benton from the Third Stage Consulting team later in the show to talk about that. So we're covering a lot of stuff here, a lot of guests here today. Um, and if you're in the midst of an implementation, this is going to be super relevant to your, uh, to your uh, knowledge base here. So before we jump into our guests and the other topics here uh, today, Kyler, what are some of these hot topics or actually the questions? What are the questions you have in store for us from the audience? Absolutely. Well, um, you know, implementations can be incredibly complex. So before we jump into questions, I just want to provide one resource that I think is a really great 
holistic kind of playbook for this conversation. And that is our lessons from a thousand implementations that you and our team put together. So I'm just going to pop that up on the screen here as far as a QR code. It's a great kind of holistic resource that's packed full of implementation readiness, implementation, red flags, warning signs, a great resource. So that is our pre-work as we always like to provide that to kind of follow along to the conversation. But let's get into some of these really great questions. Um, implementation is so complex. So there's a lot of, of questions around how do you kind of unpack that? And there's one that I really want to um, start with here that I think is a, a really kind of good overall question. So this user says on, it's actually from your YouTube channel, um, we failed at a smaller implementation within our organization. And now it's really impossible to garner buy-in for a much larger, much larger, but much needed new system. How would you address this? Yeah, that's a great question. And a common challenge that organizations have when they have failed once at a project you lose a lot of credibility organizationally and, and politically and, you know, from a change management perspective, it becomes even more difficult. So, you know, I think the key, first of all, is to make sure that you as a team, as a project team, have learned the lessons, you know, what are the lessons from the failure? Why did we fail? And make sure you've taken the time to not dwell on the past necessarily, but to dissect the failure and understand what went wrong so you don't make the same mistakes again. So that's the first and foremost, the thing you've got to do. You don't want to just keep repeating the same pattern and expecting a different result because something must have happened on that project that you need to remediate or else you're just going to get the same results the next time around. So understanding that as a smaller project team and a leadership team organizationally is the first step. And then secondly, once you've done that, then it's it's that self-awareness and the transparency around that self-awareness is really important. So if you can come out as a leadership team and acknowledge that, hey, we did not do this well last time, we acknowledge that. So your team already knows it. There's no point in hiding from it. You might as well just come out and admit it to the team that, yeah, that didn't go well. And more importantly, here's what we didn't do well. These are the things, these are the mistakes we made. And here's what we're going to do different next time. And this is why we have confidence in this project going forward. Um, and, and honestly, you know, just stepping back, back objectively, organizations that have failed or struggled in a project, they are generally, in my opinion, um, more likely to succeed the next time around because now they have some battle wounds. They have those scars. They know you know, what they should have done right the first time. So they have that benefit of hindsight now that a lot of teams don't have. I'd rather work with a team or a client that has failed or had a troubled project um, because I, I know they're going to be more successful and they're more open to new ways of doing things rather than repeating the past. Um, I'd rather work with that type of organization than one that's completely naive and has never been through one of these projects or hasn't done it in 20 years and hasn't gone through any major changes because that that client is very high risk because they don't know um, what they're getting themselves into in many cases. Now, having said that, you know, there are some exceptions to that comment that I just made, which is that sometimes organizations keep repeating the same patterns, they fail over and over again, and even we can't help them because they can't get out of their own way. So there are some clients like that or organizations like that. But for the most part, um, there's a lot of lessons to be taken from failures and troubled projects, and you just need to be transparent about it and, and use that as a way to pivot towards the new, better strategy that you come up with to, to address your, your implementation. Yeah, that's great insight, Eric. And I, I love how you put kind of a positive spin on that, because when I first read this question, that was my first thought is this is actually a really good thing or could be spun into a good thing, um, but definitely something that you can look at the lessons and learnings around that, but totally understand it can be hard to kind of garner, especially cultural buy-in after a failed implementation. So 
Um, great question. Um, another question here, we have to, if we're going to talk about implementations, we must talk about agile versus waterfall, right? Um, so this is an interesting question that kind of breaks down that, you know, really polarizing argument when this person actually says, aren't all implementations supposed to be agile? So is waterfall just going away in general and we need to rename it? But I don't think it makes sense to call it agile versus waterfall anymore. What is your reaction to that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm open to new names for things. If there, if there's something different, um, I don't know what that name is or what, I don't know that we necessarily need another, another buzzword in, in the world. There's plenty of those already, especially in this industry. Um, so I'd say that, you know, I don't think either waterfall or agile is going to go away anytime soon, or they shouldn't go away. I think there's a, a time and place for both approaches. Most organizations we see and most software vendors and big system integrators that we work with are using some sort of hybrid for the most part. Um, they've got sort of some waterfall stuff up front that's happening in the blueprint design phases of a project. And then they've got some agile type focus that ends up becoming more relevant later during the deployment when you actually go to deploy the software. So I think there's a time and place for both. I wouldn't necessarily say either one's going to go away. They shouldn't go away. I don't think waterfall should go away if that's what the person is suggesting, which they, they may be. I may be misinterpreting what, what the real question is, but I get the sense that the question is, is waterfall just going to go away and why are we talking about it? Well, they're in a, in a big transformation, especially if you're talking about an end-to-end -end technology solution like an ERP solution, you should have a waterfall uh, component in the upfront pieces because you need to define what those end-to-end -end processes are and have that future state vision and roadmap and business process design in mind uh, before you start deploying technology, especially if you're a bigger organization that's trying to drive efficiencies and scalability and things of that nature. So I think they're both they're both important. And the recipe you use as an organization, the, the mix of agile versus waterfall is going to depend on what your strategy is and what is you're trying to accomplish with your transformation. So it sounds like it depends. It does. It absolutely depends. But I'd say the one... <laughs> call it absolute. I don't yeah. want to call it an absolute, but I'd say the one thing that applies in most cases is that you're going to use some, um, some, uh, mix of both agile and waterfall. Absolutely. And, and that approach doesn't have to be one or the other. It's more prescriptive for your organization, your project and what, what that really looks like. But I think the key to that question that we can pull out of there is it's important to understand that overall strategy and clarity before you engage in your implementation in order to effectively use resources and budget. So um, great question there. And I have to bring you one more question kind of outside the implementation area, but I promised last week's listeners that you would help them choose their term paper topic. So I have two topics for you to ask if you would write a term paper on either one. Um, so thank you so much for kind of joining and asking Eric that question. And as promised, I will kind of deliver on that. So the two topics they were going between is a term paper on additive manufacturing and AI in production, and then green and reverse logistics in robotics. So those were the two they wanted you to vote on. Which would you write a term paper on? Hmm. That's a great question. Me personally, I'd rather, I'd, I'd be more interested in the first one, the additive manufacturing and AI. Um, I think that's a cool topic and be super interesting to, to hear about that or read about that. Um, there is part of me though, and it, please, I hope no one is offended by this comment in the audience, but there's part of me that thinks, well, what does the professor want to see? You know, what's what's going to resonate more with the professor and 
and a lot of colleges and universities, professors love the sustainability environmental stuff. So you could, you know, if you wanted to play to that bias or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, that might score you some goodwill with your, with your professor. But I think the topic itself, uh, I'd, I'd be much more interested in the first one myself. What, what do you think? What do you like best? Or that was, yeah, that was a perfect consultant answer. Like, what does the client want? You know, right, right. <laughs> what, you can tell I've been what, doing this my whole life, what, my whole career. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, from a practical standpoint, I completely agree with you that additive manufacturing and AI and production. And I think at least for me, the, um, the really green initiatives could be a subtopic in that term paper. Cause there is a lot of Good green point. initiatives when it comes to efficiencies in AI production using additive manufacturing. So, but thank you for that great question. And thank you for the engagement and wanting Eric to answer that um, so badly. So uh, that's just kind of a, a, a look under the curtain of how we choose these questions. We try and make them as valuable um, for our audience. So if you do have questions, I highly recommend putting them in the chat here. Our team will grab them and then bring them to future episodes um, because there's lots of, of great questions there. Also, if you have your own answers, the goal here of this actual podcast is to create some diversity in the conversation. So we'd like you to share those as well. And then we actually pull those and pump those out on our social media too. Um, also, so I know we're going to get to a few other kind of hot topics in the industry, um, but if you do have questions after these questions, please just pop them in the comments. Yeah, absolutely. Love having the the audience questions. They're they're a lot they're a lot of fun to answer, and, and it's interesting to hear where people's minds are and what they're what they're think, thinking about. So, thank you for contributing to this podcast by by dropping your questions uh, either on this podcast episode and or in our other social media uh, platforms. We'll we'll get to as many of those questions as we can. Um, we're going to come back to uh, some hot topics here in just a moment, though. Um, in the meantime, we're going to cover a couple things. We're going to talk about cloud vendor lock-in as well as nine steps to effective implementations. Later in the show, after we get through those hot topics, we're going to have A.V. Verikar on the show. who's going to be talking about uh, implementation planning. Uh, he and I are going to have a discussion here in the studio about that. And later in the show, we'll get to implementation red flags, early warning signs of trouble during implementation, as well as steps to implementation readiness. So we're going to continue this whole theme of implementation and software implementation uh, strategies to help you in 2024 and beyond. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. This is the software implementation episode. Everything we cover here today is related to software implementations and how to make your software implementation more successful. And uh, my name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. 
And at that same website, you can also subscribe to the podcast. You can view past episodes and sort of in an aggregated view, see everything you need to know uh, or may have missed about this podcast at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this podcast is produced by Major Tom Productions and sponsored by Third Stage Consulting. So thank you for being here today. Um, so Kyler, you have a couple really good and interesting hot topics related to implementation. What, what have you got in store for us here? Well, there was an article going around in our industry um, network that was shared with me a, a dozen times um, from our audience. So I had to kind of address it. And it's from our friends over at um, Rumi Street. If you haven't seen Eric's live stream with their president, um, you can um, look it up wherever you get your podcast or we'll drop it in the comments here so you can see it. But it basically is called Dear Oracle Cloud, I Need My Own Space. And it and it's kind of a lighthearted take on uh, a love letter, a breakup letter, if you will, to Oracle Cloud. And it starts with, look, it's not you, it's me uh, type of thing. So it's, it's a great read, but there's some really great tactical pieces um, in this that I specifically want to talk. And I want to talk about this, the, um, the subcategory, I don't like being smothered. So Rumi Street recently did a, a survey and 73% of respondents noted that they are looking at a SaaS infrastructure um, for, for uh, vendors other than Oracle. And the reason for that, and we're talking about like Azure, um, ASW, Google Cloud, those different um, pieces, and they don't want to be holden to one cloud because they feel as though they, they don't want one vendor for everything. They want more diversification around that. And they feel with the bigger vendors, they don't have as much focus on really bigger roadmaps when it comes to cloud technology. So I wanted to bring that to you and see what your thoughts are around, um, you know, really going for more focus-based cloud vendors for your maintenance, your infrastructure, those types of different things, as opposed to one vendor for your entire tech stack within your, your cloud overall portfolio. Yeah, there's something to be said about hedging your risk and diversifying your, your technology. And, um, you know, the reason companies get stuck in vendor lock-in is because their entire operations are driven by that one software solution. And if something changes with that one software solution or that vendor that you don't like, you're, you're, you're stuck, you know, it's harder to get out of it than if you had diversified and you had multiple um, technologies in place. Um, I think, you know, I, I know you mentioned the article was written by Ramini Street, who uh, their, their CEO, as you mentioned, was on this podcast before, which if you go to transformationgroundcontrol.com, you can go look at past episodes to see that one. But in that episode, we talk about, um, I think we talk about third party maintenance. And that's something to think about too, is do you need your vendor to provide the software and provide the ongoing maintenance, especially if you are still using some on-prem um, sorts of solutions? Um, and you don't, you have other options. You, you don't have to do that all through your vendor. You can use third-party maintenance providers. But the problem is with that model is as they move to the cloud and as more and more solutions are in the cloud, um, organizations, I think, are going to get more stuck with uh, this lock-in concept. And I think that's why we have yet to see the real um, fallout and the downside, the dark side of the cloud movement is because we haven't yet run through the full cycle of organizations that implement a cloud solution and then 10 to 20 years later, they outgrow the system or need to make a change. And we haven't gotten there yet because the cloud is still relatively new. We're still really in the first decade of most of these big incumbent software vendors moving to the cloud. Some vendors like NetSuite and um, Salesforce Workday, et cetera, 
they were already in the cloud, you know, 25 years ago, but that's, that's more an exception, an exception than the norm. These other vendors that started off on prem and are now making the switch to the cloud, they're still in the first decade of doing that. And so we have yet to see the full life cycle of what happens when these big, massive organizations outgrow that system, or there's some sort of misalignment with the way the cloud solution is evolving versus what the business needs are. And that divergence is going to create the need to do something. And that's where I think you'll see and feel the see and feel the pain of having that vendor lock in, which uh, we might see it on a small scale right now, but we haven't seen it on a big scale by any means. Absolutely. And I think that's the point of this article. It might not even be Oracle, right? It might be, you know, just diversifying your evaluation and understanding that, having the ability to be mindful. So I'll read you the last um, just sentence here that I think um, sums it up pretty well. It says, let's just be friends. I'm not ready to take our relationship to the next level. While I still like your software, my affection doesn't keep my head in the clouds. I'll keep seeing you, but on my own terms. I hope you can understand and respect my boundaries. So very <laughs> well said. That's funny. <laughs> when it comes to like a, a great article. A software. Oh, it was. I mean, it, it was, I, and thank you. I should say, thank you for tagging me in it so many times about how we should, we should talk about this because not only do I learn so much from our audience when you do send me articles, but that, that made me laugh out loud. So really great content just in general, but let's transition to talking about um, ERP implementation, this nine step guide. So I want to take you through kind of what this looks like just real quickly and kind of ask you about these steps when we go into kind of prepare to talk about implementation readiness and your conversation with AV and Greg later in the episode. So these nine steps, um, the step one is assess your current system. Two is define the scope and goals. Three is actually choose an ERP system and four configure your system Five is prepare and migrate data. Six is test the system. Seven is train new employees on the new system. And eight is implement the system fully. Um, so those, those, that order specifically is kind of what I want to talk to you about. And if it were, if I were to guess, since we've worked together for so long, what you would say, I was thinking you would switch one and two. Define scope and goals is two. And one is assess current systems. So I just wanted to see if you would have any shifting in what that may look like as far as focusing on the technology as opposed to focusing on assessing the organization and defining the business goals as opposed to just the technical goals. Yeah, I think, I don't know that I necessarily switch the order, but I, I would do what you said, which is sort of maybe expand what number one is. Because um, because you if you think about it, you know, it's hard to define the scope and goals of the project if you haven't fully assessed what you have today and what you're trying to change. But I think in that step one that you mentioned, which, what did they call it again? They called it uh, assess current systems. Is that what it was? Yes. So assess the current system. So so on that one, then I'd say that if, we, if you look at the um, current systems, I would look beyond the current systems. I'd look at um, not just what the systems are today, but what the business processes are and um, what the organizational structure is. And perhaps more importantly, define what you think the future state processes should be and the future state organization, that future state operating model. And then once you've done all that, then it's easier to then define the scope, the goals, the overall detailed plan, uh, going through the evaluation and some of these other steps that you mentioned uh, throughout that list. Interesting. And then, and the last question here, would you, um, would you put training as number seven? So you can, you prepare and migrate data 
you test and then you train and then you implement? Is that how that step-by-step would work or is training too late in this nine-step process? Yeah, I think on its own, it's too late. Um, I think if anything, you might have iterations of training that could start even as early as selecting, you know, as soon as you've selected the software, there's no reason you can't start training some team members on how to use the system and creating as many power users or super users as you can within your own team. I mean, that, that's something that you, you really need to have, especially if you're going to operate on a level playing field with your software vendor and outside technology implementers. Um, you have to have that sort of a, a sort of a minimum level of understanding of the software to be able to be on even footing with your partners that you're working with. What you don't want to have happen is this sort of learned helplessness of, oh, you know, we're not the experts, they are. Um, so therefore they have to do the work. Um, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have that sort of learned helplessness. So um, I think the more you can train yourself early on, even before you get to the mass, kind of the final end user training at the end, I think you, you want to do a lot of that in, in parallel. And we, we have a guest joining us here, yes, uh, as you can see in the background. I know. Here, got, <laughs> so, <laughs> this is funny. We're not, we're not going to edit this. So we're, we're, we're letting this ride. We're going to let these guys. No, absolutely not. I was just about to say, Eric has <laughs> two unexpected guests. <laughs> And if you're watching the audio version, I've got two two construction workers waving at the camera right behind me because I'm in a different spot than I usually am. So uh, they're having a, they're they seem to be enjoying themselves. So as long as they don't do anything inappropriate or uh, crass here, we'll we'll let it ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe they have some questions on implementation planning. So you guys look like they want to talk so, ERP. They they look like they want to talk software. They sure they're cleaning do. windows, but they really want to talk they, software. <laughs> Absolutely. They're talking about the the process inefficiencies of cleaning windows on a cold December day. So, right. um, but, but with that, if you do, I'm turning back to our audience outside of our window cleaning guests, if you do have any other steps or you would move any of these nine steps, I would be curious to hear from you in the audience um, just to kind of talk through what that looks like, the best you know kind of system to ensure that your implementation is effective within the planning stages. And that's a great resource to kind of um, cross review with our um, thousand lessons from or our lessons from thousands ERP or implementation planning guide. Um, that's a great way to kind of workbook your actual steps for your implementation because it truly does depend. Um, And I know this conversation, our guests today are really going to help with cultivating your own personal strategy around effective implementation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Well, that's a good, um, good resource for people to to lean into and to to draw from. And that that sort of leads us into our our next uh, segment on implementation planning, which by the way, I hate to say it, where the cat's out of the bag, people are going to see how this podcast is made and they're going to realize based on what's going on behind me, they're going to realize very quickly that we filmed this episode out of order and, and it's going to mess up. So these guys are going to mess up the editing of the, of the video, but that's okay. You know, it's bound to come out at some point that the, the, the podcast is not filmed completely sequentially and as neatly as it might look. Our, our video editor does a good job of making it look that way, but it's not. So anyway, uh, cat's out of the bag now. Now you know how the sausage is made and now you know how my windows are cleaned as well. Um, so, but that's a total side note. The real thing I wanted to get to is our next guest. Our first guest is going to be AV Verikar from Avero, um, advisors. He's, um, going to be on to talk about implementation planning. He and I are going to have a discussion around what you need to do as you think about planning for an implementation in 2024 and beyond. So he'll be on the show here in just a moment. And then later in the show, we'll have a few other segments, a few shorter segments related to implementation that we'll get to as well. We'll talk about implementation red flags with you, Kyler. We'll talk about early warning signs of trouble with Nate Stroer from the third stage consulting team. And we'll also get into implementation readiness um, 
checklist with uh, Greg Benton from the Third Stage Consulting Team. So um, be sure to check that out. And uh, we'll take a quick break here and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. This is the software implementation episode. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Be sure to check it out on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or any audio podcast platform you'd like. You can find aggregated platform of all those platforms, this episode or this podcast at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check it out there. Um, excited for our next guest or our first guest on the show, I should say. Um, this is A.V. Verikar. He is the CEO of Avero Advisors. Um, he's joining me here uh, in the studio to talk about uh, implementation planning. And we're going to talk a bit about what it is you need to do to get ready for implementation in 2024 and beyond. So with that, uh, A.V., thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. This is uh, I'm glad to be part of the first in-studio experience, the yeah. Eric Kimberling experience. Is that yes. the next one? <laughs> um, no, I'm uh, A.V. I'm Abhijit Verakar. I'm the founder and CEO at Avero uh, Advisors. We are an independent digital transformation and ERP consulting firm that focuses on the public sector across the United States. Um, and we've been working with Eric for almost a year now. So excited yeah. to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we were just talking uh, last night at dinner. We were talking yeah. about how it's been exactly just exactly a year this yeah. month that we uh, right. that we first met. So our, our team's met at the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies Absolutely. conference or gala, and that's where our teams first met and how yeah. we've gotten to know each other. It feels like longer, but it's only been a year. It does, and, and congratulations by the way on on two years in a row. Yeah, how many years in a row for you? Three. Yeah, yeah. you got to you got to speed <laughs> on that one, but that's it. That's the only thing you're going to beat us. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so. Tell us about uh, your background. So, you've, obviously, you've you founded Avero several years mm -hmm. ago. But tell us about your career. What led you? What led you here? Yeah. So I, you know, I have a, I'm an accountant and finance person. I've got two master's degrees in accounting. And as I finished my second master's degree, I realized I didn't want to be an accountant. So fell into consulting um, uh, in like almost 20 years ago. Joined a consulting firm in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, as an intern and fell in love with it because I can meld my financial background and accounting expertise with technology and help solve client problems. So did that for about um, 15 years before I started Avero in, in 2016. Yeah, uh, it's been a fun ride. I, I enjoy this profession. I know you do too. And, and that's one of the many reasons that we get along. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, we have common uh, interest in consulting. We both kind of stumbled into it too. Yes. I, I never planned to be a consultant just like you. It just sort of, sort of happened and then you try it and then you, yeah. you learn to love it over time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone plans to do it. Most consultants I've met, they stumble into it from some other background. They've had they've, they've developed some deep expertise in, in a in an area of their life or curriculum, and they they've done some work in the industry, and that expertise leads them to consulting. Mm. Uh, but our path was not like that. We, we stumbled into it, which I think is is a good way of doing it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, 
So I want to turn to the audience real quick just to acknowledge where everyone's joining from here today. Obviously, AV and I are here in Denver. Um, when I say this is our studio, this is actually my office. And AV was kind enough to help me set up this little makeshift studio that could accommodate two people instead of I usually sit right across the room here at my desk and we had to kind of move everything over. So you, you're like kind of video production guy here yeah. today along with yes. me. So thank, thank you for you. helping. <laughs> but uh, joining uh, a lot of people joining from all over the world here today. Um, David from Germany um, on YouTube is here. Thank you, David. James from Hereford, UK. Jesus from Spain. We've got someone from Toronto, um, India, uh, Dallas, Texas, Denver, Colorado, uh, San Diego, California, London. So thank you, everyone, for joining wherever you are today. Uh, people all over the world. So great to have you all here today. And this is a topic that has global implications, right? It doesn't matter where in the world you are. This is stuff that uh, is going to be relevant to uh, to you as you get ready for your your transformations. I'd also love to hear in the chat, if you don't mind, just drop it in the chat where you are right now in your ERP or digital transformation journey as you, as you uh, look to 2024. Are you getting ready to start one? Are you in the middle of one? Are you a consultant maybe that's trying to trying to assist with one or more? Um, so love to hear uh, your perspectives uh, from that. Um, we have someone from Knoxville here too, by the way, okay. which is where, where you're from. Go Vols. Yep. <laughs> So I guess just to start, you know, if before we dive into the implementation planning process and, and sort of what it takes to get ready for an ERP implementation, let's talk about first maybe some just general trends. What are the what are the big trends that you and your clients are seeing in the space that we should be aware of if we're planning for an ERP implementation in 24? Yeah, so we we work with governments. So our clientele tends to be slightly behind and sometimes by design compared to private sector. Mm. So what I'm seeing or we're seeing is, is a fast adoption of cloud technologies and SaaS, which you probably saw two years ago, right. but it's accelerating. The offerings that are coming to our clients are more varied now. Clients, um, companies like Workday and Oracle and NetSuite are really interested in the public sector market, the, the mid-level market. Prior to this, they were really only going after the large, large clients. So that's one thing. The adoption of AI, there's a lot of curiosity, but no real products. Right. I think 24 will show us some real products, some real enhancements in existing technologies with with AI. Uh, and I'm really excited about uh, natural language reporting so that, you know, accountants like me can just go ask questions to their ERP system without having to run down to IT to have a custom report made. I think that's what's going to come in to play next year. I, I don't think it's too far out. Mm. Everything that Microsoft is doing with Copilot. Um, that we are seeing not yet able to play with it right if you can if you have some expertise in azure and you can go behind the scenes and play with the open ai apis um but i think the consumers will start seeing all of that as products right next year yeah what do you think yeah same same thing and i, I have a follow-up question yeah. I'll, I'll come back and add some some additional thoughts here but you said something that's really interesting. You said that government's a little bit further behind, and so they're doing things that maybe private sector was doing a couple of years ago. And I think even in the private sector, you have a lot of companies that are different yeah. degrees of digital maturity. Some are more mature than others. For those organizations that might be listening here today that are further behind, let's say, and they get enamored by all these new features and bells and whistles of enterprise technology like AI or whatever mm -hmm. it is, how do you how do you help clients sort of incrementally get there without jumping too far, you know, making too big of a leap yeah. too, too soon. Our approach is, is getting them to do a strategic plan, mm. be it technology, you know, all technology or just CRP systems. No matter what you do, you need a plan, right? Because this, these projects are once in a lifetime. If done, if done right, you won't have to do this again, right? Right. If you don't do it right, you're going to do an, another ERP implementation. And these aren't fun projects to go through. 
Um, so first of all, you need to have a plan. What does this mean to your organization? How are business processes going to change? How are people going to change? How are you going to manage the, the change in business processes and people's roles? That needs to be defined first. Then you need to look at your business processes, uh, things that you've been doing for the last 30 years on pen and paper, even Excel. That's going to change and get automated. Mm -hmm. You need to map all of this out on paper, on Visio, on BlueWorks Live, what have you, before you go and select a product, right? Because that's going to uh, dictate or, or educate you on what product's going to fit your needs the best. Yeah. So visioning to be process mapping, requirements definition, all of the things that you know, are considered to be time consuming and boring are actually the most important things to do yeah. in any ERP implementation. Yeah. And so many of those boring things yeah. that you have to do are prerequisites to getting to the more advanced technologies. Absolutely. So if you think about like AI, yeah. you have a client who has, let's say they've got messy data, mm -hmm. systems aren't integrated, they're in silos. AI is too big of a jump if, you, yeah. if you're in that setting. So you've got to figure out in that roadmap, to your point, how do you define your processes to where you've got better data, data flow, mm -hmm. integration of data? Then you can start thinking about AI at that yep. point once you've got that. But yes. you can't just jump straight to AI. No. And, and you have to also think about infrastructure, right? It's often overlooked. You want to move from on-premise to the cloud mm -hmm. or go from, you know, having a system in your basement to a SaaS product. You can't do that if you have jacked up networking and, and not good servers and no bandwidth. Right. So... There's another layer to that. You have to look at your infrastructure, look at how you're set up, what your bandwidth is, what your fail safe uh, failovers are. Uh, how are you going to do backup? Because uh, we've, we've seen clouds being hacked, right? Big companies losing data. Google Drive lost data, right. uh, what, a couple of weeks ago. So it's not fail safe. So you always have to have an infrastructure plan that plans for all of these things. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, it's also... Um, are you seeing any any in the in the public sector? Are you seeing any shifts or trends as it relates to specific software solutions or software providers that are becoming more prominent or less mm -hmm. prominent than you've seen in years past? Or what are the trends you're seeing there? Yeah, in the last year or two, uh, we're seeing more involvement by Workday and Oracle mm. in the mid tier market. And when I say that, the you know there's there's a few big cities: New York, Denver. Um, San Francisco, what have you, the large metros that are really being served historically by the big software players, right? We haven't seen them come um, bid on RFPs or chase clients like the city of Knoxville or the city of Cleveland. So tier two, tier three cities are now getting attention from these big players, right. which is exciting because there was a lack of choice uh, throughout my career in public sector. You saw, uh, you know, mom and pop resellers trying to patch together an SAP implementation without understanding what government does or the business of government. Mm. Uh, but now companies like Oracle, Workday, Oracle NetSuite is going after smaller clients across the country. They've really thought this out. The, the Gov strategy is pretty strong and they're giving companies like Tyler Technologies a run for their money in that mid to low section of the market. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's good for the clientele because there's more choice and they're going to get true SaaS service rather yeah. than just something stuck in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing the same thing in, in other verticals too, in the mm -hmm. private sector. Um, SAP is another example. Yeah. SAP with S4 HANA now is going down market. You know, they're, they're with the grow platform. They're mm -hmm. trying to take S4 HANA and, and scale it down yeah. for the mid market. Yeah. So it's really interesting for 
any organization that's a mid-tier, mid-sized organization, they've got a lot of options, both the big players coming down yeah. market to support their needs and then the smaller mm -hmm. suites of the world or whatever um, vendors that typically yeah. focus on the space. Okay, I'm here with A.V. Verikar from Avero Advisors. We're talking about implementation planning in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover in the conversation, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyla Cheatham. Find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check it out there. Um, I'm here with AV Verikar talking about implementation planning and what you need to do to get ready for implementation in 2024 and beyond. So let's jump back into the conversation. There are just a couple of comments here on, on where people are in their, their journey here. Uh, James on LinkedIn says that uh, he's a consultant project manager halfway through the build phase with Go Live scheduled mid 2024 on Microsoft D365. So thank that, you. That's great. Yeah. Very specific uh, point in his journey. Yes, and D three six five also is as is seeing a resurgence, right? Yeah. I'm sure you're seeing that too. Just like S four Hana, uh, SAP Cloud, D three six five is making a resurgence. Yeah. So all good, all good news for our clients. Yeah, lots, lots of options for mm -hmm. sure, but but very different uh, options too. You know, yeah. you, a lot of these vendors you're talking about Workday, Oracle, and that's Oracle, Net Fusion, Oracle, that's mm -hmm. Suite, SAP, D three six five. These are all. Workday. These are all very different um, yeah, solutions. Yes, and, and yeah. so it's, it's interesting. You have, you have you have a lot of good options that are very different. Yeah. Um, here's a question from uh, or a comment here from Oscar on LinkedIn. Oscar says, um, "I found that many clients don't plan their business transformation projects sufficiently. They're not mapping business processes sufficiently. They don't have any change management in place yeah. ahead of the system implementation, and tend to have resistance from the business." Um, to change and so I'll, I'll pop the, the comment here up on the screen so everyone can see it uh, thank you oscar for that great comment um, you talked about business process already and how important that is to get ready for your overall roadmap and using that as sort of a, a baseline for how you're going to deploy new technology uh, we haven't talked yet about change management how, do, how does change management fit into what you were describing yeah. earlier about having that blueprint it, in the business process it's extremely important you know the first thing you need to do is talk to your users people that are going to be using this system and I've run into a few situations where, you know, the, for example, this, this client is going from PeopleSoft to Oracle uh, HCM in the cloud. PeopleSoft on-prem, Oracle HCM in the cloud. And they're considering this an upgrade. It's just an upgrade. We're just going to, you know, get Oracle or a reseller to come in and do an upgrade. And when asked if you've talked to your HR department or your largest departments, and the answer was no, why should I talk to them? because their requirements are pie in the sky was the answer. So that's a wrong approach to OCM because you're gonna run into an, a, a problem here pretty quickly 
when you unleash this new system on users. So change management starts from the time that you decide to switch systems or upgrade systems because your end users need to be involved. Mm -hmm. You can't just run this as a CIO or CTO uh, from your office without talking to the end users. That's step one. And throughout the implementation, you have to do, you know, there's a lot of theories about change management and they're all useful, but the most useful thing is talking to people like they're people and understanding that any change is going to upend their lives. Uh, because a lot of people are very invested in the work they do and, and have been doing great work using older systems and put, you know, patch together Excel sheets for a long time. So you have to be considerate of mm -hmm. what they're about to go through. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the best approach to change management. Yeah. What about, do you ever have clients or executives, especially at yeah. your clients where they say, um, that sounds great. Yeah, we need to do change management, but our, we're not too worried about it because our yeah. people are really excited for the mm -hmm. change. The old systems suck. New system's great. They're, they want this new system. So yeah, we might do a little bit of change management. We don't really need to. Do you, do you hear that from executives? All the time. All the time. What do you, how do you counter that? Or what do you say to it, that? It, what I just said, right? The, yeah. the, it's like if you're a child, you ate all the fun stuff on the plate first. You have to go back and eat your vegetables. You can't <laughs> right. leave the table. Yeah. It's a, it's a must uh, thing to do, right? Because if you don't do change management, right? If you don't care for the people that are going through this change. And I'm being very soft about this, right? right. There's theories on how to do it and communications and uh, newsletters and videos like this. And we've, we've done all of that. But if your executives don't put a lot of value into effective and accurate change management, you're going to be in trouble because you can do everything right. But if you don't have adoption from the users, the system's not going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's been your experience with that? Same thing. I mean, it's, yeah. It starts at the beginning, like you said, mm -hmm. like from the moment you embark on an evaluation, really. I mean, even when you're evaluating potential systems, you need to involve people at that point. Yeah. That gets them excited. And usually what we find is that you have this sort of a, a curve where during the selection process, people get more and more excited because now you you see the opportunity. You yeah. see, oh, this great new technology is so much better than what we're using now or mainframe is going to go away or green screens or whatever. Our old system is going to go away. Now we've got this great new fun system we can yeah. use. And then you select at the time you select the software, usually that's sort of the peak. That's the peak excitement. And yeah. then it starts to drop off. And sometimes it just drops yeah. off a cliff because people start to freak out mm -hmm. when they realize that this is How a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. And now you're going to change my job. Now you're going to change everything I do that I've been doing for the 20 years the same yeah. way. Now you're going to change that and tell me I've got to use a new technology, new processes. Right. And it, it just turns into a threat. Yeah. And so you've got to turn it. You got to. You're never going to stop those peaks and valleys, but you can minimize the mm -hmm. drop. You know, to where people get. And, and a great way of doing that is again doing it upfront, right? As you do business process redesign, as you do requirements, you're getting people to think about how processes, their lives are going to change, their work's going to change, mm -hmm. um, and our processes doing that without talking about what system they're going to get. Right. Right. Because you, it really gets people that have been using a green screen or an AS400 for 30 years to think about how life could be different right. if they didn't have to maintain these spreadsheets that keep breaking because they're interlinked and it's on some uh, server that that was destroyed in some fire. Right. You've heard those stories too, right? So as you're doing process redesign, as you're doing requirements definition, that's a great time to start talking about change. Mm -hmm. And those are great tools that become part of your change management routine. Yeah. And one thing we advise clients on too, if you're getting ready for a transformation in 24 ERP implementation is part of your plan needs to include the change management. Yes. You know, I think a lot of times companies say, well, let's figure out the technology, the technological roadmap mm -hmm. first, 
And then as we get into it, we'll figure out the change management yeah. stuff later. And the problem is change management could is oftentimes on the critical path. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to get through that stuff and you have to know how long will the change really take or else it doesn't matter how fast the technology yeah. moves if your people aren't moving. Yeah. So you've got to have that plan as part of your overall strategy and Absolutely. implementation plan. Yeah. And there's different flavors to that, right? Change management doesn't always mean a two-year-long implementation and change plan. You can have a change management, you should have a change management plan for smaller upgrades. Mm -hmm. Even if you're replacing, you know, uh, keyboards or uh, desktop screens, that's change. Yeah. And you need to do that in a way that doesn't disrupt people's day-to-day -day, uh, work. So we see that a lot, you know, when, because we do a lot of infrastructure work. So some vendor will say, we're going to upgrade your servers tonight. Or the IT department says, we're going to upgrade uh, backups tomorrow, something like that. And they don't give the end users the chance to say, no, we have a critical thing going on. Yeah. Or to prepare for it or have a change window. So change management is critical in all aspects. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. Here's a question for, do you ever see that movie Elf? Yes. The Christmas movie, yeah. just to, since we're yeah, on Christmas holiday here. You know that scene where um, he, they announced that Santa's coming to the store yeah. and, and Will Ferrell elf yeah. freaks out says, I yeah. know him. Yeah. Well, this is someone that I know. It's Megan from Knoxville, <laughs> Tennessee, who's part of, who's part of your, your team. Um, so I was just thinking, I know her, um, just like just like Elf. But uh, Megan says, uh, how should local governments, and I'll, I'll, I'll expand this question a little bit yeah. if you don't mind, Megan, but how, how should organizations in general approach a cost-benefit analysis when considering an investment in a new ERP system? She's asking specifically for government, but yeah, I think, I think it applies to both. I think it's the answer differs, right? It, it's hard to nail down some and a financial ROI for governments. You can make assumptions and come up with some numbers. Are they real? More often than not, it's the efficiencies you're saving on that's not necessarily tied to money. Uh, that you're becoming more efficient. You can do more with less. You can do uh, things faster and better. Be, be more transparent to the public. Those are the kind of metrics we need to track. In the private sector, though, it, it's real dollars and cents that you know you can you can see being saved, or efficiencies that lead to more profits. So talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to quantify where you think the value is going to come from, and, yeah. and really, you know, I think the key is to not be too pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times, you see organizations that will say, you know, what if we reduce our inventory by 25% yeah. or reduce our procurement cost by 50%, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And those numbers, okay, they could be real, but they might, might also be complete guesses. So I think the key is to, to determine exactly how and where you're going to get those savings. And what that does by digging down and not just saying we're going to save 25% on inventory savings or cutting our inventory costs by 25%, it's more where, like which is there a certain mm -hmm. warehouse or in the public sector procurement, you know, yeah. if, where are we going to save that money? Where's the low hanging, hanging fruit? And what do we really think that this technology could do for us? And then you start to look at, well, which modules do you need from yeah. the technology? And you know, how much does that cost mm -hmm. relative to what you're going to save? And that really helps you prioritize too in that roadmap yeah. as you think about the planning phases of knowing you're not going to bite off everything all at once. You're going to presumably do kind of a phased approach. Mm -hmm. And this helps you prioritize quite a bit by yeah. specifying exactly where you're going to get the savings. But also, you know, one step further, I say, I would say that you, you should also have that benefits realization plan too. Mm -hmm. Who's, you know, how are you going to get it? Who's, who's accountable yeah. for those savings? And what are you going to do to optimize the, yeah. the value? I think defining what a return means to you yeah. in this in this ERP scenario is important. Mm -hmm. uh, again, goes back to start from the beginning. What does success look uh, look like and how are you going to measure it? Yeah. Right. It, it, if you have that definition from the get-go, that becomes your goal. 
it becomes part of the vision and becomes part of like the guiding light as you go through a difficult implementation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have that guiding light, then when you get into tough decisions that are difficult to make, like, should we customize, should we customize this little piece of the software? I don't know. Customization is generally viewed as bad yeah. in the industry or in, mm -hmm. in these projects, but it might be good if it adds mater material yeah. value Absolutely. to what you can get out of the system. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm here with AV Veracar from Avero Advisors. We're talking about implementation planning in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover in the conversation, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, so be sure to check it out there. Um, I'm here with A.V. Verikar talking about implementation planning and what you need to do to get ready for implementation in 2024 and beyond, so let's jump back into the conversation. See, the only problem with the in-studio approach here that I'm finding is I'm so used to looking at the camera and yeah. all the questions are right here. So I don't yeah. have to like look back and forth. So now I'm, I'm a little behind. So if that's you're fine. I'll look at the camera while you look at questions. <laughs> Just awkwardly yeah. stare in silence at, at the camera while I figure this out. Here's, a, here's an interesting point or a comment from um, LinkedIn. And it's, uh, I'll, re I'll just read you the comment. Part of the challenge is the arrogance of IT for entering a solution phase while not understanding end user experience. Yep. They are stuck in ivory towers of technology. Yep. What do you think of that? Do you agree with that? Do you, All day. Look, I, I love my CIO, CTO friends, but, and I've, and I say this to them too, like pay attention to the end user. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it sometimes becomes an ivory tower situation where they're looking down and saying, what do you know about technology? Let me, let me just do this upgrade and your life's going to be better uh, without understanding, you know, what they're going to bring on to the end user group. And it's not the, just the end users. You, you know, your director levels, your executives that that rely on a system to get data to make decisions, it's going to be upside down if you're not dealing with them and their requirements in the first place. Right. Um, so I we constantly talk about it to our friends in IT about how to do this. And, and the good ones take that advice and, you know, they're the best suited to take this advice and, and this approach and do it right. Uh, because they understand technology. The flip side is your uh, business users don't necessarily understand what's go what goes into an implementation, why a certain system might be better for you. And then you have the opposite problem of not understanding technology enough, but wanting find the sky things. Yeah. Like we want AI enabled systems, but your infrastructure is terrible. Right. You can't get there without spending a lot of money and time on infrastructure. Right. 
yeah so it's like you have to do both you know yeah. you have to have that vision of how the infrastructure could support it but you have to tie it back to the business value mm -hmm. and what that end state back the to outcome. your yeah yeah just define the outcomes before you go through this yeah yeah and back to your point about business processes you were talking about earlier like laying out what your future state vision for your operations and your yeah. processes are that should enable or lead to what the mm -hmm. technology solutions are rather than starting with technology then figuring out the business yes. processes which is backwards which is you know it's interesting we had a question from a client yesterday or a prospect rather they went through a business process redesign with a vendor so their incumbent vendor which is you know in the k-12 space they're they're like legacy dinosaurs mm -hmm. and i'm not going to name them but they went through a business process redesign with this vendor who they're considering getting rid of and they want us to use this ppr to take this project further so our response was their their question was can we use this ppr to save some money on your services and we're like yeah but it's not going to be useful because it was made or you went through this from a from the lens of this vendor that you don't like mm. so the bpr is focused on how can we make this product work for you or yeah. how can we make you work for the product so it's upside down bpr should be done without thinking about what product you're going to come yeah uh, implement yeah it should be the first thing you do uh, in really understanding what your business practices are today and how they'll change how they should change with modern automation and that's where we come in right we can tell our clients that you know these seven steps you do in the PO process are now done automatically. You just cancel that whole lane over there. Yeah. And this is now automated. Therefore, it saves you two days of manual labor. Yeah. Um, and that's the future state. A lot of times clients don't know what's out there because this is the only thing they know. Yeah. So it's our job to educate, map, and then make sure that they're um, getting what they are envisioning or asking for from the vendors. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's um, for, well, I'll come back to the question before you follow up. But um, when you define those business processes um, objectively and agnostically, which is what you're talking about, it really does focus on business. It's not focused on the technology. And a lot of times people are, especially vendors, will say, no, 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 that's backwards, AB. You shouldn't mm -hmm. do your business processes agnostically. You should do it based on the technology because yeah. that's, that's what they want. Yeah. That's best for them. Yeah. Um, but that's not that's not the right answer because you need it to drive your business and then you figure out how the technology is going to fit within it and if there's a discrepancy which there will be there will be some discrepancy mm -hmm. of what you want your future state process to be versus what the technology can do then sure yeah. now you've got to reconcile yeah. and you now but at least now you can target you can focus on that decision like this piece yes. is a is a discrepancy what are we going to do we're we going to change our, are we okay with changing our business process or are we okay customizing mm -hmm. and making it fit our desired yeah. future state so yeah. And the last thing you want to, last thing I'll say about that too, is the last thing you want is for a vendor to, to be coming to you and saying, well, yeah, AV, um, just because you have a discrepancy here between those business processes you just laid out and the way our technology works, um, that's not that's not our problem. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's your problem. You don't, you don't want to change. Yeah. And then there's so many times where we're working with vendors and you say, yeah, we don't want to change to something lesser, yeah. <laughs> either like a watered down yeah. version of the way we want right. things to work. That's right. if you, if that's resistance to change, then sure sure so be it yeah so uh yeah it, it there's just different flavors of business process redesign right you could there's two schools of thought and th this is one of my passion areas right process redesign there's two schools of thought one is your your systems and processes are so broken that you don't even want to deal with current processes you blow everything up bring in a new system and let's just redesign the whole thing mm. the second school of thought is it's not it's 60% broken. Let's see if we can fix it. 
are we not using the system right? Are our business processes so screwed up that the system can't do it? So let's look at it from that perspective. So anytime we go into a client, that's the question I ask. Where do you see yourself, mm-hmm. right? Do you want to blow everything up, burn the world down, right? And start anew, or is there something salvageable in right. this? And and uh, the approach then depends on where we are. Yeah, based on our assumptions and and assessment, what the client thinks they're, uh, what stage they're in. So yeah, different flavors. Yeah. So I have to ask, was this K through 12 uh, customer you said mm-hmm. they were considering or, or looking at the incumbent that, that's outdated? Is it in Fort Lawson? No. Okay. I, I was sure you were talking about in Fort Lawson. And you probably wouldn't have told me even if I was right, right? <laughs> we can't name. Okay. Yeah, you can't, we can't bash vendors on the, on the show. Mm-hmm. I would never say anything negative about a vendor or a big system maker. I, no, never... me neither. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, here's a, a good question from Dan Aldridge on YouTube. Um, thank you for being here, Dan. Dan's a regular uh Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan, ERP doctor. His name. Um, he came to our Stratosphere conference, so you and I have met him in person. Uh, thanks for being here, Dan. Uh, do you think that the missing functionality in S4 HANA and struggles with ECC to S4 HANA upgrades will cause SAP customers to leave for other ERP systems? This is a great question. It is a great question. I don't know. Um, I, don't I mean, if it, if it impacts business processes, right? We, we've had clients that have left SAP they were in process of moving from legacy SAP to S4 HANA and decided not to like the CFO put his foot down and said, no way I'm sticking with this product. Let's go out to RFP. And we've been helping them pick, you know, a, a different product. So I don't know uh, in detail what that means. Yeah. So maybe you do. Yeah. It's, you know, that I think the date they've set is 2027 yeah. that you have to be off of VCC and, on, and not S4 HANA. Or they're going to stop supporting ECC. Mm-hmm. I think it's 2027. It might be 2030. If someone, if someone from the SAP world yeah. can correct me or needs to correct me, please do. Regardless of what the date is, honestly, it doesn't really matter. The, the fact of the matter is the same, which is mm-hmm. they're forcing customers to make a switch, yeah. maybe or maybe not prematurely from what they should be doing. So I think at best, what it's doing is it's creating a, I think it's a PR nightmare for SAP. Yeah. I, I think it's a disaster. But the the good news for SAP is they're not the only ones doing it. It doesn't make it okay, but right. Microsoft's doing the same thing. Yeah. Oracle's doing the same thing. They're all doing it. All the vendors are basically yeah. saying, we're done with the on-prem model. Yeah. These legacy systems are going away, which they have to at some yeah. point. But what it's doing is it's compressing the timeline mm-hmm. frame for all these companies and organizations through the world to switch over to S4 HANA or whatever yeah. the system is. Yeah. So it's almost like you have you have to pick your poison. Do you want to, are you that pissed off at SAP for them forcing you that you're going to go find another vendor that's also doing the same thing as their customers. I think that's the luxury SAP has. And and I think that's a problem in the industry, Mm -hmm. honestly. I think some are handling it better than others, right? There's a way to sunset older systems. It's it's a fact of life. But let's take, for example, the whole Kronos UKG transition, right? UKG buys Kronos and what they've done is, and this is not bashing, this, these are true stories. They, at least to this one client of ours, they, it was sold as an upgrade. It's just a sticker change. Nothing's going to change for you. We're going to go from calling it Kronos to calling it UKG. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be farther from the truth. It was a brand new implementation yeah. uh, with a third party involved. And they didn't look at any of the documentation. And the kickoff meeting started with, tell me what your vision is for the future of your department or something like that. It was like, what? Now, this is a new implementation. Yeah. You said it was an upgrade or just a sticker change. So that one has not been well managed. And it's not just one client. Any, anywhere you go, you hear the same thing. 
Right. Um, and it comes down to uh, who it is that's charged with the implementation, right? The third party that that they're bringing in to implement the solution are not very good. Yeah. Uh, and it's giving them a bad rep, right? And and a good point to be made there is Kronos was always in the cloud, especially at this client of ours. It's not moving from on-prem to the cloud. It's just moving to a different platform, but that wasn't made right uh, transparent. Yeah, it, it's often sold as a lift and shift. It is. You're just moving. Yeah. It just, yeah, we're doing some things behind the scenes, but S4 HANA, ECC mm -hmm. to S4 HANA is the same thing. It's yeah. it's a totally different system. It's a different architecture, different database structure, mm -hmm. different user interface. Yep. But at the same time, I guess the caveat to that is there is some tribal knowledge benefit yeah. that you have that that some similarities, I guess you'd say, from ECC to S4 HANA, mm -hmm. not enough to justify it being an easy uh, upgrade by right. any means, but there is some value and mm -hmm. something to be said with sticking with yeah. it. And I think that's what a lot of these bigger organizations struggle with is you have so much tribal knowledge and deep competency in a certain product like mm -hmm. ECC, it, it's hard to justify going completely yeah. abandoning that and going yeah. in a totally different direction. Yeah. But I think the communication and management of that change is the key because yeah. Kronos was about to be, the, officially it's being sunset Q1 of next year, 24. Right. But no client is ready with UKG, as far as I know. Right. So that date is kind of fuzzy, right? And, and our advice for our client is push back. If this thing isn't ready, what are you going to do? Not pay 3,000 people yeah. on that day? Yeah. Um, that's not acceptable. So the vendor community needs to do better with the sunset plans in general. Yeah. Totally agree in, in managing expectations mm -hmm. and, and also just being empathetic with their clients. I think yeah. that's where a lot of vendors, I it's, I don't know if I showed the question or not yet, or if I've gotten to the question, but someone in the chat used the word arrogance. I think maybe they're talking about, mm -hmm. it might've been a, a different question, but um, I think the, the vendors and SAP is one of the vendors where I think there's a, there's a certain amount of arrogance that yeah. they have and sort of uh, disregard for customer needs and saying, and it's all about them. It's like, we need to get yeah. off this legacy system. Therefore you need to yeah. get off the system. And we're basically going to pull the gun to your head mm -hmm. until you've got to switch now. And if, if you think about it from a business perspective, it's a smart gamble on SAP's yeah. part, I guess, because they're going to get most customers if, you know, if not an overwhelming majority are going to switch over to S4 HANA. So it'll probably work. They might lose some customers. There might mm -hmm. be some collateral damage along the way, but I think most customers will probably yeah. end up switching and they'll end up better off for it financially. I don't know that the customers will, but SAP yeah. will definitely end up better yeah. off uh, for it. So. Um, here's an interesting question uh, from Ryan on LinkedIn, and he asked the question, what strategies do you recommend for ensuring scalability in ERP systems as a company or organization grows? Like are there, when you're, so in other words, when you're implementing a new system, you know, maybe to add to this a little bit, how do you how do you plan for the future? You know, you, mm -hmm. you implement what you need today, but how do you ensure that it's what you need tomorrow as yeah. you grow and change as an yeah. organization? I think it's easier with, uh, with SaaS, right? In the cloud, you don't have infrastructure issues. Um, so it's easier to grow, but but to grow, um, but you still need to plan for it. In in the public sector, it's easier. You know, organizations don't change that much. They might add a hundred people over twenty years, uh, but generally, it's frowned upon to add headcounts to governments. So, and the operation doesn't itself change unless you're doing something really strategically critical, like merging two cities or making a city county organization. Um, that's when you really have to think about systems and how they're going to merge and, and scale. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it comes down to requirements definition, going back to the vision. What do you see your business doing in the next 10 years? Right. And is the system going to scale? Um, and, and 
by scale, do you mean the number of users or do you, do you mean the number of modules and the, the amount of transactions it can process? I think, again, with SaaS, if you negotiate well, you're not tying yourself into per transaction fees in some cases. Uh, you can easily scale. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. You're you're taking um, IT maintenance and IT infrastructure out of the equation. And a lot of times that's a bottleneck to growth mm -hmm. and scalability is that I've got to change my entire infrastructure or I've got to... Um, change my system to, mm -hmm. to get it to scale for as we grow. Whereas now with the cloud and SaaS model, the vendors are doing that on an ongoing basis. Right. Now it does create other disruptions. Now all of a sudden you're, you might be changing too much you know, mm -hmm. because the system's changing whether you want it to or not. Yeah. And the upgrades are happening behind the scenes whether you mm -hmm. like it or not. So that's the bigger issue back yeah. to the change management discussion. That's what you've got to manage now. So you've really, you've you solved one problem of scalability which is that it maintenance infrastructure yeah. side of things but now you've created a new problem with scalability which is now there's more shocks to the system and mm -hmm. more change that you have to go through as an organization yeah. for better or for worse mm -hmm. yeah, good good question though thank you for that uh, question ryan just a comment from from kyler on linkedin and another elf moment i know her i she's, know her i know her she's <laughs> she's part of the third stage team um kyler says the power of messaging and perception is real it's a very good comment mm -hmm. um Back to the change management thread there. Okay, I'm here with A.V. Verikar from Avero Advisors. We're talking about implementation planning in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover in the conversation, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Well, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, so be sure to check it out there. Um, I'm here with A.V. Verikar talking about implementation planning and what you need to do to get ready for implementation in 2024 and beyond, so let's jump back into the conversation. Um, here's, a, here's an interesting question from Mackenzie on LinkedIn. Mackenzie says, what is your favorite example of the long-term benefits of successful change management on the efficiency and, effect and effectiveness of public sector organizations. So I'll read it again because it's kind of it's it's a good question. It's just there's a lot there. What is your favorite example of long-term benefits of successful change management on the efficiency and effectiveness of a public sector organization? Yeah, I mean, it, it's easy for me. Our our first and my favorite client, Brown County, Tennessee. Like we started with their RFP was I think three words long, we need help with computers. That's what it said, I'm exaggerating, it was right. simple. So when we were picked, the first thing we did was create a long-term plan. What we found was, you know, the, they had a CIO that was there for 30 plus years that had abruptly left, uh, went somewhere else. There was no training, no documentation, and the whole county ran on this AS400 system that he had built himself. And again, there was nothing documented. It was, and it, it was IBM um, um, 
series uh, that hadn't been kept up for licensing. So mm. they could have been uh, hit with some, you know, ransomware for sure, but also uh, license avoidance fees or what, what have you. So we had a long-term plan. We created a five-year plan for them, went to their council and commissions and sought the funding, convinced everybody that they need to spend money on this, otherwise they're going to be in deep trouble. And it took us five years to, to get from point A to point Z. And along the way, we upgraded everything from their uh, networking gear to their wiring to fiber optics to how they do backups, take them, taking major systems to the cloud and replacing the main ERP system um, from the green screen to something in the cloud uh, SaaS space all within five years. So it's that, that's at the speed of lightning for government. But along the way, it was successful because there was buy-in from the top to the bottom. Everybody was ready for change and we did it right. We had good communications, we had good buy-in, we had good uh, expectation management. Of course, it was bumpy at times, uh, right. but I think that's that's the best example I can think of where we've done this right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think the question is a good one because, yeah. and the example is a great one too, because what McKinsey is alluding to without saying it directly necessarily is that change management can and should add real business value. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, I know we've talked about it in the context of how do you get people to come along and how do you mitigate the impact of change and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not just about making people feel good. It's about the real business value. And I think that's what a lot of executives don't understand is it's not like we're just advocating, you and I are not advocating change management just because people are going to feel good. Mm -hmm. That will be a secondary unintended yeah. consequence of yeah. it or result of it. But the real reason you do change management for doing it right is to get business value. And so yeah. I, I love this question because you are focused on we, we, at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want efficiency and effectiveness, like she says. Well, and, and we say this a lot. I know I've heard you say this. These aren't technology. I mean, it's a tech project, but it's a people project first, mm -hmm. right? You're going to, technology is a tool. So this is where the ivory tower comes in, right? Where you just get thrown a piece of technology from, from up there for people to use, and it, and it doesn't work. These are people problems. And right. that's why, you know, consultants like us, find success because we're good at dealing with people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Um, I love all the change management questions coming in here too. Um, here's a, here's a interesting question again from, from Kyler here. Um, knowing that Eric and AV study failures, can you share some main themes you see in implementations that are headed for failure? And this is a great question because I know we're talking about implementation planning, right? So, if we sort of back up and predict the future and, mm -hmm. and look at a, any current situation or, or a client that's early in a process in the planning phases, what are some of the mistakes that they make in that early? Yeah. Because a lot of the mistakes are made early on and then they just yeah. materialize and then you yeah. feel the pain a year later or whatever. Yeah. So what are those common mistakes or failure points? Yeah, I think I think number one is rushing into a decision yeah. is 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 a big you might have a pot of money and, and you know, for our clients in the public sector, there's there's dates associated with funding, right? You got a grant from something, you have ARPA funds, you got a special grant from the state, and it needs to be spent by a certain day. Otherwise, you're going to lose the money. And we're talking about millions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that kind of adds a certain uh, artificial deadline to a decision. So we recently saved a client from making a bad decision um, to the tune of $1.4 million. They were going to go buy an RMS records management system for the police department um, because they had the funding. Mm. And guess what? The the software vendor that was lobbying for funding was first in line to say, 
okay, by this by the state. Uh, otherwise, you're going to lose funding. So it it all smelled bad. So we you know we were brought in to look at the contracts and the requirements and what exactly they're buying, and it was it was not in the in the client's favor. Right. They wanted eighty percent of the money up front, and again, in the guise of you're going to lose the funding, you better pay us. So uh, we had to really go dig through the contracts and what was being offered and what the client really needs. And when you ask questions about, have you thought about process changes and have you thought about integrations? Have you talked to user groups? The answers were no, but there was a push to get this thing bought. So right. that was a, that was going to be a huge mistake if we hadn't stepped in. Yeah. So rushing through uh, purchase decisions and not talking to end user groups is, is huge. Mm. It, it, you can't just make decisions in a silo yeah. in IT. Yeah, totally agree. And back to the rushing decisions, I know you've yeah. got the fight or the the funding issue mm -hmm. that you talk about that a lot of public and private sector uh, yeah. companies have. They have a budget within a certain time frame yeah. that they've got to spend it. Um, the other thing that you get is sort of that undue pressure from software vendors that say, mm -hmm. "Why wait until February to yeah. buy the software when I can give you it's December right now? Yeah. I can give if Great you deal." And I bet you're seeing we're seeing a lot yeah. of it right now actually in December. Yeah. It's the end of year for yeah. end of fiscal year for a lot of software mm -hmm. vendors, and they're trying to hit their numbers. So they'll give you a sweet deal if you buy a bunch of software that you may or may not need, they'll give you a great deal yeah. on, the, on the discount. Um, and, and without really understanding what you're getting, what you need, mm -hmm. uh, are you even going to deploy that software anytime soon? Um, that's the kind of stuff that you, you've got to watch for. Yeah. And, and what we find too is that the potential savings you get from making a decision faster, and the software vendors are going to hate that I'm saying this, but that, that money you save is usually not worth yeah. the risk you're taking right. on in the implementation Absolutely. result. The cost of not doing due diligence and process design and change management is is worse than you know those discounts you can get. Yeah, and that's why you have to look at you know it's all we're all human. We all have economic self interest. A sales rep is trying to make their number and they're mm -hmm. trying to make their commission. So yes. if I can convince you to buy now, even if that's not your best interest, it's in my best interest, mm -hmm. but may not be in yours. That's the you just have to. They're not bad people necessarily. No. You just have to recognize it for what it is. Good stuff. Um, I think another, you know, we talked about change management. Change management's a big failure point um, as you get into planning. Um, another one too is is it sort of aligns with what you're saying about not rushing in and not making decisions too quickly. Um, the other one is um, the, uh, gosh, I just lost my train of thought. The um, expectation setting, mm -hmm. the, having realistic expectations for yeah. what what is this plan really going to take? If a software vendor comes to you with a proposal and says we can deploy Workday in 12 months. Um, is that real? I mean, theoretically, maybe you could do it in yeah. 12 months, but is that really going to work for your organization? Yeah. It, it's sort of taking the time to pick it apart and say, maybe 12 months needs to become 18 months, not because we want to be slow or delay a project, but because 12 months was never realistic. So mm -hmm. let's create a plan and, and align that plan with more realistic expectations. Right. And then that yeah. ultimately will serve you well yeah. going forward. You need to define what, what done means to you, right? At, right. The, at the outset, what does go live mean? Because the vendor will tell you, we can get this live in six months. Of course you can. Is it going to be useful to our clients? Probably not. Right. Right. So if you can't just go by, you know, all the lights turn green. So that means we're live. The definition of go live needs to be the client's definition of go live. What does it mean? And it's not one thing. You have to have 10 things mapped out and, and the final punch list, so to speak. Right. It needs to be defined by the client, not the vendors. Right. Yeah, absolutely. With vendor input, of course, you know, you can use of the vendor's course, yes. yeah, proposals yeah. as input. That doesn't, it shouldn't be the end all be all answer to how you're going to deploy. Right. It. And and we've seen that, you know, people get stuck to a go live date. 
that was defined two years ago because that's what they said. And from a vendor perspective, I get it. You need to deploy, implement, and get out of there so that you can start charging maintenance. But reality is different, right? Things come up, elections happen, budgets change, natural disasters. Mm. Um, Acquisitions in the private sector. Yeah, you know, and so, so my point is go live dates set early on in the implementation work plan need to be fuzzy because mm -hmm. as you get closer, you're going to see clearly if it's going to work or not. Right. And how that date needs to change. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of change management and stakeholder expectation management because you're reporting to boards, reporting to councils that that will question you. Why is this date changing all the time? And you can't be in this space where we have to stick to us because we said that certain thing two months ago or two years ago. Right. Yeah. Be flexible. Yeah. You can't uh, just be that hell bent on hitting a date because yeah. you said that was date. Now, ideally, you get pretty close to yeah. and you're realistic to begin with. Um, you don't want to be completely arbitrary mm -hmm. about it, but you also need to be realistic that, you, like you said, you're going to learn more along the way. Things are going to happen along the way. And then how do you pivot and make sure you catch it? I think that yeah. that's the key is you need to know it shouldn't come up on 30 days from go live yeah. and you're like, Oh gosh, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. You should know mm -hmm. months before or whatever that that date's not going to work. Yeah. Let's shift it now yeah. before we get too yeah. close to it. Cause then people start to panic and that's where you yeah. get real change management issues. You get a lot of political mm -hmm. internal fighting and stuff like that, yeah. or doubt on the project. It yeah. creates a lot of skepticism. So you don't want it to be a surprise. You mm -hmm. want to be, you know, proactive about it, yeah. but also recognize it. Well, that's where, that's where third party, um, project management PMO team comes into play, right? You, everybody has their day jobs on, on the client side. This is a, this is another day job on top of your day job. Right. So let the experts do it, bring in the experts, set up a PMO, do this in a systematic manner. So there are no surprises. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm here with AV Veracar from Avero Advisors. We're talking about implementation planning in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover in the conversation, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more transformation ground control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, so be sure to check it out there. Um, I'm here with A.V. Verikar talking about implementation planning and what you need to do to get ready for implementation in 2024 and beyond. So let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a, here's a question I love. This is from Sam Graham, who's another regular uh, listener um, on the show. So thank you for joining Sam. I believe he's in Spain or he, I know he's from Spain. I don't know if that's where he is at right this minute, but Sam from Spain says, do many organizations still think that ERP is an IT system or an IT yes. project, I should say. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a fallacy, right? But just because it has the word technology in it somewhere or software in it somewhere doesn't mean it's an IT project. It, right. These are business projects. These are people projects. Uh, and a lot of, the CIO community is starting to see this too. Uh, 
because you know they don't you can't expect a CIO as smart as they are to understand how every department works or how every function works, especially in governments. You talk about public housing agencies, such a specialized uh, sort of organization that, you know, there's maybe 5,000 of them around the country and each one of them is unique. Like really they do things different way. They deal with uh, HUD at the federal level and a lot of nuance goes into managing these organizations. So if you, tell a CIO to come replace their legacy ERP system and make sure that, you know, my 5058 reports are getting done right. These people have no idea and rightfully so, right? So that, that's when you have to bring in a third party to assist with that. Um, and going back to the question, just because again, it says software doesn't mean it's an IT project. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. You should be viewing it as a, as a business initiative that right. is enabled by technology, technology. and IT. Yeah. Yeah, here's a, a comment from William on uh, YouTube. You might appreciate this, uh, A.V. William says, A.V. looks like he's about to dis dispense some vigilante justice. Exciting times. So I'm not sure what you no. said or did to. I don't know. <laughs> I apologize for whatever I said. <laughs> I, I think he likes it. I think he means yeah. it as a compliment. I don't know. Uh, but it, I thought that was a funny comment. Um, here's a comment from um, LinkedIn, just more of a follow up to the, uh, the SAP migration mm -hmm. discussion or thread earlier. S4 HANA is quite different from ECC. Changes are night and day. And I totally agree. Those are, yeah. they are, back to your point, not just SAP, by the way, but a lot of these systems, yeah. D365 yeah. compared to Microsoft Dynamics. Yeah. I mean, th those are big material yeah. changes, yes. entirely new systems mm -hmm. that you're dealing with. And it's, it's not a lift and shift. It's not an upgrade. It's a re-implementation yeah. of new technology, even if it's the same vendor. Um, here's a question. I'll broaden it a little bit. This is from Sam Graham as well. Uh, I'm going to broaden his question a bit. I'm going to change his question a bit um, and stick to the original intent is he says, are there enough experienced consultants out there to support the move? He's asking for the move to S4 HANA within that time frame. But let's just talk software vendors in general, all these yeah. software vendors that have these call it arbitrary deadlines to sunset their legacy products. Mm -hmm. Are there enough technical consultants and technologists to yeah. help do it in that compressed time frame? Yeah, I, I don't know. So for the first time today, we're going to say it depends. No, it, it took us. We haven't. No, it's a long been time almost to get an to hour. It. Yeah, uh, depends on what what the definition of consultant is, right? There's consultants like us that are not necessarily experts at the particular technology at the core. Like we're not going to go configure systems, right? Uh, so when it comes to those kind of consultants, there are if you go on SAP's website or Yardies or whoever's thousands of resellers and partners. Right. Right. But how many of them are good? So or how many of them have the resources today to come help you with this? So it remains to be seen. I, I'm not sure with the numbers, especially on SAP, how many are out there. Um, if you go to uh, the, you know, suburbs of D.C., if you throw a stone, you're probably going to hit an SAP consultant. Right. Um, but I don't know in general the numbers. Really. I don't know either. My hypothesis is that the, and we're feeling it qualitatively yeah. in in several of the the software ecosystems that there's a strain on resources it i mean in general just back up even more look at the whole macro global economy yeah. of the workforce a lot of companies are struggling with labor shortages and just getting the right talent the the, the caliber of talent that they mm -hmm. need when you look at technology and you add this perfect storm of all these mass upgrades to you know cloud solutions yeah now you're putting even more of a strain on that. So I think, you know, there's enough data points to point to the fact that there is a strain and will continue mm -hmm. to be a strain on finding good resources. And that's why that's even more reason why 
back to the planning and the implementation timeframe, you want to add some buffer there because yep, maybe in a perfect world, it could be 12 months or whatever the number is, but given labor shortages and other factors that we've talked about in this conversation, maybe it should be 18 months. And so I think you just have to take that into consideration that this isn't a perfect world. This isn't a state of a utopia where you're going to get all the resources you need when you need them. And, and by the way, not just from the software vendors, you're also talking about the internal resources yeah. you need from your own organization, which is a whole other yeah. can of worms that we haven't really touched on is, mm-hmm. you know, how do you make sure that you have the right amount of commitment and that the software vendor isn't taking over the product for you and that you're sort of equal yeah. partners with them in that, yeah. in that project. And again, it goes back to, you know, beating a dead horse, but planning and really thinking about uh, change management and how you want this project uh, structured. You need to think of these large digital transformation projects as if you're building a new campus or a school building or a police station and not just treat this as an upgrade or it's just an IT project and it's just software. That's where you get in trouble. That's another mistake going back to the earlier question. Right. You have to prepare yourself to uh, talk to your board, to your council, to be in the newspapers if things go wrong in the public sector. Right. Uh, and think of it as you're building a new school system or, right. or a new school building or a police station. Yeah. So it's, that's, that, it's that impactful. It's that risky. Yeah. Not done well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. Um, well, good. Let's get to uh, one more question before we wrap up. It Time is flying by here. Um, so let's, um, uh, I'm going to skip that question, even though it's a really good one. There's a lot of good ones I'm going to have to skip here. I uh, apologize for that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of comments too. Let me come back to one that I think is good. This is, uh, this is about AI again. This mm-hmm. is a good hot topic that a lot of people want to want to talk about here. But this is from um, LinkedIn, from Mir on LinkedIn. Mir says, what role AI and machine learning play in ERP solutions in 2024? Do you think, I know we kind of opened yeah. up talking a bit about yeah. AI and how in government and even a lot of the private, uh, private sector, a lot of organizations are far behind and they're nowhere close to being ready for a, a yeah. real AI solution. But how when you look at software vendors and their capabilities, how, how, how far along do you think they are really with the AI competencies? I, I don't know. Like we haven't seen anything. At least yeah. I haven't. I'm not sure if you have, but I think the lowest hanging fruit there is reporting yeah. and dashboards. Yeah. Uh, you can do it with ChatGPT4 today. Like, you know, the, the latest feature is you can build your own GPT yeah. and have it do specific, very narrow tasks. And, and I've played with that a lot where you can upload spreadsheets and reports and have it do uh, analytics or, you know, charting and graphing for you. Um, That's going to turn into natural language reporting. Again, going back to empowering the users, I'm really excited about this because think about how reporting happens today. You think of a custom report you want to build, you draw it out and you explain it to the report writer who doesn't understand your business and it takes months Mm. before you hear back, right? that user now can will or should be able to just ask the question to the ERP solution. Right. Like you asked Siri or Alexa, um, hey, how many sweatshirts do we buy for Parks and Rec last year? And it should tell you. Um, and it's there today. I know natural language reporting has been built into like tools like Power BI and Tableau for many years, but now it's it's been given the sort of the oomph of uh, open AI and, and, and you know, AI engines that can really turn these things out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think then, uh, last question I'll ask you mm-hmm. just to sort of wrap this all up is, uh, what, what are the first steps that 
I should take if I'm an or if I'm part of a project team or I'm leading an organization that's getting ready for an ERP implementation. We've talked about a lot of stuff that you need mm -hmm. to do to get ready. What what are the first steps? Like how do I get started? You know, with all the all the stuff we've talked about so far, what are the what are some of the steps or the best ways to just get going right. on that planning so, process? So it depends on who you are, right? If if you're a CIO that's been handed this project, take a step back because again, this is not a technology project anymore because the vendor is going to do a lot of the work for you. Mm. Should right? You don't have to worry about infrastructure other than bandwidth and making sure you're cyber secure. Um, take a step back and think of the vision. Go talk to the to the executives. Go talk to the end users and spend some time assessing your current state and creating a plan for this implementation. Uh, so it, in the public sector, having to go out to RFP is beneficial in that sense. You're forced to do a scope of work. You're forced to do requirements definition. Right. And it's, it's rare that someone just goes out and buys something quickly. Um, so doing the upfront work is really critical, going back to our discussion. And by the way, on our website, we have a handy little checklist on how you get started and how you um, uh, implement a system. Go download that, please. Mm -hmm. And um, I imagine Megan will probably drop it in the chat. I hope she's, you're, she's still on. And, yeah, yeah she'll drop it. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, there's a lot of material available on, on Third Stage and Vero's websites that tell you how you go through this. Of course, it's not all, all comprehensive. You have to talk to us to understand some of it better um, or or better yet hire one of our companies to to do it for you but if you're prepping to go into an ERP implementation next year I think this is a great time to just sit back and think about how you're going to kick this off in, in January or February mm -hmm. um, and really have a plan for it because you can't just spring it on people you can't just say next week we're going to kick off this project and it's just an upgrade don't worry about it that's the worst thing you can do for yourself yeah yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, having a checklist like what yeah. you're talking about is, is key and making sure that you have at least started to scratch the surface on all the major work streams that right. you're going to have to plan for. So certainly the technological piece laying out what that roadmap is, what are the major mm -hmm. milestones, the business process piece, change management, yeah. all that stuff. And, and a lot of times, too, you know, one of the first things you can do is just start to get an inventory of what what things are are like now, yeah. you know, what are your current state processes? Mm -hmm. You may all have it in your heads. You may have some old documentation, but just getting your arms around and just understanding mm -hmm. what are we starting with? What are we working with here? Yeah. And then that's going to springboard into yeah. what is the future state? Mm -hmm. How can technolo technology help? So you don't want to forget the current state, right. you know, as part of that planning process. And there's a lot of cool tools available right now. We didn't go into process mining. Yeah. It's, it's something cool we haven't really got into, but process mining tools can help you really understand your systems and processes at a deep level. Um, back when we started doing consulting, we were using Visio, right? Right now we do BlueWorks Live and now we have process mining. So if your systems are set up right, you can plug in these tools that will automate the whole process for you. Tell you where the bottlenecks are, tell you where your redundancies are. You can use that to really as a springboard to plan for your uh, next implementation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for being here. Thank this you. is a great, uh, great conversation. Thank you to the audience. The audience yeah. had some great questions here. Well, a lot of them we didn't get to, which I apologize, but uh, you've given us good uh, inputs for future podcast episodes that we can mm -hmm. come back and, and answer some of these questions. So be sure to keep listening to to the Transformation Ground Control podcast. So I uh, think for being part of the live production here. Um, this is the first time I can shake a hand in an interview. So thank you. Yeah, look at that. Usually it's yeah. you know virtual and I can't shake hands. So yeah. it's, it's fun to do this in person. Thanks for making the trip thank to Denver. You. And uh, absolutely. Okay, we're going to shift gears a bit, though. We're going to get to some more uh, segments here related to software implementation here. Now that we've we just finished this great conversation with AV, um, we're going to talk 
uh, with Kyler about implementation red flags. We're going to talk with Nate Stroher from the third stage consulting team about early warning signs of trouble during implementation. And then uh, finally, last but not least, we'll have Greg Benson on the show to talk about uh, implementation readiness and what are the things you need to do to get ready for your implementation. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 150. This is the software implementation episode. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check out the website to see past episodes you may have missed. And you can also check every week for the new episodes on whatever platform you prefer to listen and watch. So that's transformationgroundcontrol.com. Be sure to check it out there. I'm excited for this next segment, Kyler. Uh, you, you recently filmed a video about implementation red flags. So we're going to play this clip about um, what are those red flags you should be looking for. This is a video we recently published on our YouTube channel, on the Third Stage YouTube channel. Um, so we're going to roll this clip here because it really fits nicely with all this uh, theme that we're talking about here with implementation and uh, software implementations in general. So let's roll the clip here talking about implementation red flags. There are a lot of reasons digital transformations or technology implementations may fail. Today, I'm going to cover the top three red flags we've seen here at Third Stage and reasons why digital transformations or technology implementations fail. A lot of times, we'll go into an organization, sit down with their C-suite, and they'll say, oh yeah, we have a culture of innovation, our workforce is completely ready for this, and we will have no issues assuming this new technology. Oftentimes we say, that's great. It's awesome that you have an unbelievable culture and that's going to be really helpful. However, organizational change management strategies still need to be involved no matter the company culture. The first step in understanding your company culture, especially for the executive team that is not immersed in the front lines or day-to-day -day overall execution, is assess, assess, assess. Learn about your business through cultural assessments, through surveys, through an autonomous third party to make sure you understand the level of risk associated with your culture. I can promise you that if your company culture is not amenable to digital transformation, your project will fail. The second red flag we're going to talk about today is business processes. A lot of times we go into an organization that is so excited and motivated for a new technology, however, they haven't done their homework to make sure that they're ready for one. 
understanding your business processes from the front end to the back end and the entire life cycle of your data is absolutely critical to making sure you are ready for any technology implementation or digital transformation. Without having visibility into these processes from conception to completion, we don't know if there's any breakage, optimization opportunities, automation opportunities, or just an opportunity to enhance the entire process. Without a deep level of understanding of business processes and the requirements your business needs to execute on a high level, there is really no point in investing in a new technology because you won't understand how that technology can truly benefit your organization. Some pre-work to going through any digital transformation is to really sit down and get to know each process point in your business. Cross-functionally, how does each department operate? How do you make sure that your warehouses inventory levels are sustainable or that your distribution footprint is most effective or that your vendor partners are diversified? Until you understand your actual processes, there's no way that you can look at a technology because you don't have the back end to know what actually makes sense for you. Especially if you're a small to medium sized business, documenting those business processes through grasping any tribal knowledge or understanding how someone who's grown up within your organization does things. Making sure that you have all of those data and roles and responsibilities is going to be critical to making sure you choose the best technology for your organization. The number three red flag is the lack of overall software industry insight. The industry of digital transformation can be very tricky to navigate, especially when you have a software vendor that's giving you sales and marketing jargon to make you buy this product that you may not need. Or you have a system integrator that's trying to tell you that actually the technology should dictate your business process, not the other way around. When we know the organization should own those processes and the technology should enhance them, not define them. Lacking an overall advocate on your side, an independent consultant, even internal knowledge when it comes to ERP or technology implementation is absolutely critical to being successful and navigating any sort of software negotiations or just understanding the evaluation. Also, activating any sort of legal counsel that is specific to the digital transformation industry as they are going to be sure that when you are going through this confusing, honestly, contracting phase with software vendors, that your business needs and advocacy is being met. If you don't have someone within this industry that is an expert, it is likely that your digital transformation will fail. If you're interested in knowing more about what it means to partner with a digital transformation agnostic and independent consulting agency, please reach out to me at kyler.cheatham at thirdstage-consulting.com and I can connect you with one of our industry experts. All right, great video. Thanks, Kyler. That was a good discussion around what some of those implementation red flags are that you should be aware of. Uh, we've got a couple more uh, segments we're going to get to, too. We're going to have Nate Stroer on the show here in just a moment to talk about early warning signs of trouble during a ERP implementation or digital transformation. And then later in the show, we'll have Greg Benton from the third stage consulting team talking about implementation readiness and the things you should be aware of as you go through an implementation. So um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. I'm excited for our next guest here. We're going to have Nate Stroer on the show, who we recently had a chance to sit down with and have a discussion with him around early warning signs of trouble. So let's roll the clip here where Nate uh, talks with us about what some of the warning signs are and the things you should watch for to indicate that you might be running into trouble in your implementation. So let's roll the clip. So Nate, thanks for being here with us today. Um, I know you and your experience here at Third Stage and leading a lot of our clients through digital transformation journeys um, have seen a lot of failures in potential projects and then also after the fact to come in and kind of triage um, these projects as well. So let's just jump in and start from the beginning. Can you give me some examples of ERP failures that you've witnessed throughout your experience within the industry? Yeah, um, you, you know, traditionally we're called in during the late in, innings of a failed ERP implementation. We, uh, it usually takes a while for a client to figure out that they're really in trouble. And we've really seen everything from um, like a project that we're currently on, working on now, which is really more of a small course correction. We don't need to start over the project, but we really needed to come in with the client, take one or two steps back, reevaluate where we were, and create a plan and a, and a vision going forward to correct the issues and really get them to where they want to be. On the other end of the scale, we've been asked to completely rescope an ERP implementation that had gone over double its original budget and had not passed through even the configuration phase successfully. In that case, we had to take a step back and completely rescope the entire project. We started with choosing a new implementation provider and literally went through every step beyond that to re-implement this ERP project that this client was working on. Wow, that's a pretty big scale. So, so what is the configuration phase for myself and some of those listeners that might not know what that is? So on, a, on an ERP project, you go through and you start off with the the first step is really learning your requirements. So um, step number one is really saying, what does the system need to do? What do you need to get out of the system? The second step and really 
the second out of six steps is the configuration stage. And that's really getting in saying, now that we know what the system needs to do, now we're gonna configure the system or setup. We could also call it the setup stage. And that's really configuring the system for how it will best solve the requirements of the organization. So if, again, if you think of a six step process, not definite or not a um, equally divided six steps, each step is, is definitely weighted differently, but really, the requirements and the configuration are the two most important phases on any project. The, the client that we ran into and were asked to um, guide them through an, a failed ERP implementation, they, they hadn't really even gotten through that configuration phase. So it's safe to say that they really had learned maybe what the client needed a system to do, and that was about it through their entire, um, through, through, through their entire effort. So they really started off like I said, way behind the eight ball of a six step project. Wow, okay. And so when, when we're talking about um, these red flags or warning signs that your, your project is headed for potential failure or totally over budget or the timeline is completely blown up, what are some of those red flags that maybe for this case study, the client didn't see? Probably the, the most important red flags that they they didn't, well, that they didn't react on. So I'm not going to say that they didn't see them because sure. they might have seen them. That, that obviously stands to um, to be argued with in any, any case you run into. But I think the first thing that in looking back at these at almost every one of these projects is right off the bat, they started to slip on schedule, milestone deliverables, and um, budget. And, and really none of those three, and, and we'll, I think, get deeper into this probably later in the podcast, none of those three are in and of themselves huge warning signs, but it, it's really important and our, and our clients almost to a T when we come into a failed implementation did not address and did not look deeply enough into those issues and say, is there something underlying here that's really causing us to really early on in the project go over budget? fall behind on milestones and deliverables, or really just um, have a schedule that was just immediately starting to fall more and more behind. Right. And you're, you're right. We will jump into some of those and unpack them later in the podcast. But I'm wondering, for a lot of our community that listen to Digital Stratosphere podcast are early in their implementation or early in their software selection or digital transformation in general, what are some of those um, key tactics or best practices that they can do right now that they are in kind of control of? You'd mentioned, you know, kind of establishing an internal strategy, those types of things. What are some of those things they can do prior to an implementation or software selection? You know, I think it's, I, I think it's really um, probably breaks down into to four very important steps. There's, there's more than these four. But really, you have to start out with a clear and uniform vision of the future and how technology will support that vision. You have to, as an organization, you have to sit down and say, where are we now and where do we want to be in three to five years? Come up with a clear vision of what that is and then say, okay, how will technology enable us to get there? What do we need the technology do to support us to get to that vision? That's really step number one. If you don't have a clear vision of where you are going to be and how technology is going to help you, you're already starting to aim at a different target. Then you have to sit down and say, do we have the right people in place? Are we including the right people at every level of the organization? 
to help us see the vision through and more importantly, to help us get the technology in place to see that vision through. The third and, and maybe the most important out of all of these things is 100% leadership buy-in. I, I would say to a T, every e failed ERP implementation that we've come into, there's been some sort of change in leadership, some sort of doubt as far as how much bought into the process the leadership is. It's very important. And we, we kicked off a, a client two weeks ago, and it was, it was such a great sign when the CEO came in and, and sat down for a half an hour and said, here's where we want to be as an organization here's where technology will help us. And here's why this team from third stage consulting has been brought in to help us get to where we want to be. And as he left the room, he said, I'm going to let you guys take care of everything else, but you have to know that this is my number one priority for our organization. And this will get done. And I will make sure you have the resources to get this done. That set everyone in the room a clear understanding of the fact that this is where we're going to go and I want this to happen. And that was the CEO really setting a mood for the project. Finally, and, and really probably the most important, well, I, I keep saying the most important, but one of the <laughs> most important factors is you really have to have a detailed road roadmap of the transformation and you really need to sit down and I always break them into just three very broad buckets. You need to know what it's going to cost you. You need to know how long it's going to take you and you need to know the road resources that you're going to need to get this plan in place and to eventually put the technology in place that will help you as an organization. Yeah, that's a, a great kind of four-step program and, and definitely equally important um, are all of those different best practices, right? And making sure that your project is successful. Um, and we talk a lot about that future state analysis, making sure that that executive alignment exists and, and what a dream client to have the CEO come in and say like, this is this is number one. I mean, that's awesome. You must've been, you know, clapping your hands at that point <laughs> in the meeting. Um, yeah. So in, in unpacking that, that project plan or that project roadmap step, what if you have no idea how to put a project plan together? Kind of what is your first step? Maybe you're a small to mid-sized business and this is completely new to you and transforming into an actual ERP software um, from say QuickBooks or something like that. Um, where, what's kind of the first step to, to put together that project plan? Well, you know, I think there, there's a, a bunch of different ways to look at it. And, you know, I'll first start off by saying um, there, there's a lot of tools out there. So, you know, there, there are companies that, that can go ahead and do this on their own. There's some inexpensive tools. There's some, some great classes out there you can take. Um, I, I, I don't want to say that 100% you have to go hire a consultant or you sure. have to get yeah. help because some organizations can do it by themselves. Um, I will say, though, that I think this is one of the few times that it's really critical and it's really justifiable that you get a help putting together a well laid out plan to get you from not only where you are, but where you want to be. Um, again, it's, it, you know, a good plan is not going to guarantee success, but, um, you know, when, it, when they talk about failing to plan is, is pl planning to fail. I think this is a really important way to, to look at it. And so if you're going to look at any of your technology spend throughout a, an ERP implementation or a digital transformation, there's probably no more critical time to get the, the steps right and to put your money or invest your 
um, time and resources than in the planning phase. So I, I really have to say that this is the one time that it, that it really pays to, to go out and get professional help, get, get people that can, can guide you through the steps that you need to take to put a plan in place and to really give yourself a vision of where you are and where you want to be. Yeah, building that that strong foundation, right? We we probably you and I, I don't know about your, you know, handiwork, but I probably wouldn't go out and start to build a house myself. You know, I might be fully capable of it, but there's just, you know, expertise that that you might not see there. Um, and then the project plan sounds like, you know, it's critical to actually ensuring that that overall strategy is aligned and that mm -hmm. you're letting the strategy lead the technology as opposed to that failure point, which I know you and your colleagues talk about a lot is letting the technology lead the strategy um, as opposed to that. But and, you know, not to cut you off, but I oh, think no. this is, I, I really want to elaborate on one thing you just said. We, and I think every one watching this at some point in time in their life has, has gone through a home improvement project. Um, <laughs> there are times when you can get on the Home Depot website, you can go out there, you can learn how to uh, tile, you can learn how to hang a bookshelf. There's certain things that it really doesn't pay to go hire a contractor to, to hang a bookshelf in your house. However, if you're gonna add a room onto your house, if you're gonna um, try and bust a hole in your wall to, to put in a sliding glass door, there's times when you, you say, you know what, it really pays to go out and really get a professional to help guide me through this this plan, you might be able to do a lot of it yourself, but it really, it, it, it pays to, to go ahead and pay someone who knows what they're talking about and can really guide you through the steps. Yeah, so it sounds like the DIY implementation is not recommended. <laughs> not always, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, this has been a great conversation. It, it's, it's great, I think, for our audience to identify some areas in which they can um, point out some early warning signs that their project may be in trouble to invest in a health check or to, you know, look for some expertise um, throughout the the digital transformation throughout the digital transformation or process. Excuse me, um, but we're going to take a quick break and come back. And Nate and I are going to talk about some more early warning signs and kind of really dig into the controllables for our clients and our audience to be aware of when their project is in trouble. So we'll be right back. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Digital Stratosphere Podcast. I'm Kyler Cheatham. I'm speaking with Nate Stroher from Third Stage Consulting about early signs for when your implementation um, may be in trouble or when your project may be suffering. So let's jump back in, Nate. Before the break, we kind of scratched the surface on what exactly an ERP implementation is and making sure that those best practices are activated 
for your business before actually looking into what might be your warning signs when you're down the road in your implementation. Um, so, so you touched on some of the project plans and the critical pieces for executive alignment. What are some other examples of early warning signs in a project that may be in trouble? You know, I think that the, the second or the, the, other, the other thing we run into all the time with failed imp implementations is a lack of a clear understanding or buy-in for the vision. Or in other words, it's not clear or agreed upon where we are going or what the desired outcome is. And th there's, there's two, two ways to dig into this, uh, but I think it's, it's really important to not only have a clear vision of here's where we are, here's where we wanna be, or here's the desired outcome from this project, but also what role each of the operations within the organization play in that vision. So um, really, again, when we talk about the, the need and the importance of executive visioning, th th there's two parts to that as well. And it's not only like, where are we and where do we wanna be, but how does each individual function and how does each individual lead to, or how do they, um, contribute to that overall function or, or overall vision or um, goal. And, and so to, to summarize, I think it's, you know, we all start off with kind of a clear understanding of here's where we want to be and here's my role. But unless it's really clear and defined and you, you've walked through that process, um, once you start going and when, once you start getting into this digital transformation, or this ERP implementation or whatever project it is you're on, with, without a clear understanding of where you wanna be and what's the desired outcome, you, you're never gonna really hit your target. You might hit the target you're aiming for, but your coworker is aiming for a different target and you're just really setting yourself up for, and not so much even for failure, but you're not setting yourself up for 100% success. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that um, is a great tie back to our podcast episode last week with Braden, your peer, who talked about maximizing your ROI um, for your implementation and making sure that you are optimizing um, all of those, not only business process processes, but organizational change management and overall communication with your um, organization to make sure everybody just knows what they're doing. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, for those unrealistic expectations when it comes to maybe timeline or those miscommunications, how does that affect failure? When you, when you might be thinking or have a client that comes to you and saying, I'm going to do this in four months, how do you kind of reset that expectation to make sure that they can achieve success and be sure that they're not, you know, looking at a, an expedited timeline that may create some risk? Um, well, I think, I think it's, a, it's a, you know, and, and going back to, to the point we just talked about, um, I think it's important that you all agree on where you are, where you're going, and how you're going to get there, and, um, and really, re, re, or really everyone adjusting to what it's going to take to get there. And I'll use an analogy is um, when you think about a road trip, like, you have to really sit down and all agree upon uh, on a road trip. Where are we now and where do we want to end up on our road trip? How long it's going to take and how are we going to get there? Are we going to um, drive this route? Are we going to go the scenic route, highway? Do we need to get there in one day? Do we need to get there in a week? 
and, and, and really sitting down and thinking through all those steps. Um, so you really have to start off with that, with that end in mind, you know, start off with the end in mind and, and work backwards and say, answer all those questions and build that roadmap of how you're going to get there. But then you also have to know and expect that there's going to be variations, even like using our road trip analogy, you're going to run into roads, that road construction that might get you off course. You might run into bad weather that's going to delay you a day. Um, you might all of a sudden say halfway through your road trip, hey, we're going to Montana, but we want to take a detour and spend a couple more days in Wyoming, whatever that may be. You have to expect that those certain things are going to happen. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to sit down say, where are we? How are we going to get to where we're going? And where do we want to go? Absolutely. That's great advice. And talking about that overall strategy and project ownership for the internal organization, how do other partners play into that relationship, whether it comes to vendors or system integrators, or um, how do they kind of help or influence any risk for failure? Well, I think that I think it's really important um, to, to know that that uh, system integrators, software partners, um, there, there's a couple things, and and it's really that first of all, there's there's never 100% guarantee that the software that you're going to use or the system integrator or uh, system you know implementation partner we we call them a, a variety of different things, but there's really no guarantee that either one of those is going to guarantee success. The more you sit down and, and you um, work with these software partners, system integrators, and and sit down and, and try and re realize that it's a it's a collaborative effort throughout the process, and really sit down and 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 learn that try and get a really good grasp on which of these softwares and which of these integrators will learn your business, which one of them fit into your culture, and which one of them are going to work side by side with you to come to the best solutions. Again, there's really no 100% guarantee, but it's really sitting down and going through the process of, of setting up requirements, talking through the requirements with them, hearing them tell you, yes, we can solve your problems, we can meet your requirements, but also having them show you how they can solve your requirements, how they can help you through this, and really laying out what that partnership is between your organization and theirs that's going to get you to where you want to be. Yeah, that's that's so much to navigate. And and just so our listeners understand, what, what is third stage role or your team's role in kind of that communication? And and um, almost, I, I think you, you kind of look like an advocacy group for our clients, right? Yeah, so third, third stage is, is traditionally brought in to um, lead to start off with the and on any digital transformation project, um, but one of the mo the key parts of it, any digital transformation, when software is included, is the software selection. And we really come in and help you sit down and put together a good description of what your requirements are. Put together a clear, um, a clearly defined set of requirements that the the software provider slash system integrator can work 
from to tell you how they work, will solve your problems or how they'll meet your needs, then we're really the advocate for our clients to go through and lead them through this process, through the um, RFP creation, distribution, and, um, and collecting those RFPs and putting together an analysis of where everyone stands and where they can provide their solution for you. But then more importantly, leading you through the, the demo and the selection process to really sit down and say, okay, these, these are the solutions. And now we're going to challenge them to show you exactly how they're going to help you and, and really run through how they can on a day-to-day -day basis, help you as an organization. And then finally, once you've made that selection, we're an advocate for you to go through and help you design a contract that's gonna be beneficial to you, not only today, not only get the best value and the, be the most benefit to you today, but really put you in a position so that as you grow and as you stick with the software, because you wanna stick with these softwares once you've taken the time right. to implement them, to really sit down and say, okay, if we're going to have this software from anywhere from the next five to 10 years, how are we going to put ourselves in a position that we don't back ourselves into a corner or that we don't get hung over the barrel? So a software company says, you know, they've invested all this time to implement our software. Now we're just going to keep raising the prices and lower our service. We want to give you the most beneficial um, position to be in to, to really let you know that, that you're going to have the best package today, tomorrow, and 10 years from now. That's great. That's great. Thanks for giving us that overview. I think a lot of times our listeners don't really understand that, that, that the third stage methodology really has nothing to do with who you choose. It's just making sure that our clients are satisfied in the overall process. Um, switching gears a little bit, I want to kind of come back to something you touched on at the beginning of this segment, which is organizational change management and understanding what the lack of a change plan can have an influence on failure. Can you kind of help us elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think we'll first start off and, and won't dig too deep into this because we talked about it a couple of times, but really first and foremost is that um, where are you and where do you wanna be? Mm -hmm. um, and, and really starting off with what's our vision for where we are, but then really once we, we've said, okay, we, we kind of know what our technology and what our organization looks like today, we know what it wants to look like tomorrow or five years down the road, but then really coming through and that, that first phase after that is, is really sitting down and saying, okay, um, how, how ready are we, we talk about org readiness. So how ready is this organization for change? And when and we usually try and break everything down by people, process, and technology. So mm -hmm. how how ready are our is our um, staff to embrace this technology change? And a good example is we kicked off a client uh, earlier this month that is literally going from a green screen technology that they implemented 25 years ago to um, what's obviously going to be the most uh, current up-to-date software, really kind of some cutting edge technology from wow. a manufacturing point of view. These people are really, really good at what they do. They've, they've built great processes, but they also to a T all realize that running the backslash commands, working off a green screen is going to be 100% di different than um, the, the navigation through a system. And then not only that, they're going to have to they're going to have so much more at their fingertips as far as 
data that's available, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, analytics, all those different things that really are major shifts in the way you do your job, not just allowing you to do your job better, but really changing the way you do your job. Right. Wow. That's a, a huge transition um, and definitely very complicated. I know a lot of those those green screen type of clients have have that barrier of that kind of tribal knowledge too, right? Of, you know, this is how we've done it for 40 years. And and that that's so valuable, but at the same time, transitioning that role is just so important to acknowledge that that's going to be a key risk or point of failure if we're not if we don't have a change plan, right? To your point, if we didn't understand how that would impact that person's roles and responsibilities within the organization. Um, so lastly, if you were to pick one thing, um, and our, our CEO, Eric, hates when I do this to him on podcasts, so hopefully you don't feel the same way, but if you had to pick one major warning sign that you would have for our listeners that should just send sirens off when it comes to a digital transformation, what would it be? Um, I would really say that, that it's, um, you know, all, all of these are, are, are warning signs and are all are really critical, but I think it's really the, the number one warning sign is, um, is really when you start to hit those issues of, um, budget timeline and scope. And when those all start to, when you start to see some inconsistencies or start to, to notice that you're you're not on track and you're not on plan, then you really need to to those can really be and I would say that would really be the number one warning sign. I want to kind of take a step back though and say that that you have to be careful with this because kind of similar to like a health issue, um, every time you get a headache, you don't want to all of a sudden say, oh my god, you know this could be a major mm -hmm. issue. I need to go to the hospital. I'm I'm in really bad shape. But I think what you really need to do is, is once you start to, to see these warning signs, again, budget, missed milestones, um, deliverables, that sort of thing, you really need to sit there and say, you know, as I'm seeing, as I'm seeing these warning signs, are they truly warning signs? Mm -hmm. Or did we, did we miss, uh, did we miss a, a milestone or did we, did we fall behind because we had an emergency within the organization? And we just couldn't address this this week and, and we'll be able to make it up over the next month. Or is, did we come in and we said, you know what, we really don't have this, this project plan put in place that is guaranteeing success. We don't have the right resources. We're a week behind after one month of the project. And we really need to take a step back and put the brakes on and say, this is a, this is a major issue or this, uh, you know, this is a major issue. How are we going to correct it? Or no, this isn't really a big issue. Let's just make sure we monitor it and correct it in the future. So again, you know, I kind of go back to what I talked about earlier, and it's it's not really it's not really so much that those warning signs are in place, but really finding out what's behind those warning signs and and see if there's any structural issues that are in place or that are failing that are going to to lead to overall failure of the project. Right. So it sounds like being mindful and aware of the process um, and not overreacting, but understanding. Um, I think that's great advice. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Nate. That's great insights into what makes a project troubled, but also more importantly, what are those warning signs that you need to watch for as you go through an implementation? So thank you for that, that great insight there. Uh, we've got one more clip we're gonna show you uh, in this show that's related to um, the software implementations in general. 
we're going to talk about implementation readiness. And this next one's about a 30 minute clip. We're going to play you a recent presentation that Greg Benton from our team uh, gave at a recent digital stratosphere event that we hosted in Europe, in the UK um, earlier this year. So we're going to play you that clip here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyla Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. I'm excited for our next guest, Greg Benton, who's been on the show many times in the past, but this time we're going to play you a, a recording of a presentation he recently gave at a digital stratosphere event that we hosted in Europe, in just outside of London in the UK. Um, earlier this year, he and I were there hosting and facilitating this conference with a, a bunch of CIOs and subject matter experts in the UK. And in this particular presentation, the reason we wanted to play this presentation for you here today is because it's Greg talking about implementation readiness and the things you should be thinking about to get ready for an implementation and to ensure that your, your software implementation stays on track throughout. So let's roll this clip of the presentation of Greg Benton talking about implementation readiness. So you'll see some information in here. We'll pass out some handouts as well that really will speak to some of the tools that we use to get to some of the decision process that needs to be made also prepare the organization for implementation of the ultimate solution that you're going to go into. But it's a, uh, it's a very tried and true path. And uh, ERP, as we've been talking about all the way along, has really evolved over the last decade or, or so. Um, it's moved away from being a single software vendor type of delivery to everything that is involved in the what we call the ecosystem surrounding your enterprise. So it's really evolved from ERP to digital enterprise operations. So Eric and I have done a video on the death of ERP. It got tons of views, I mean, lots of attention. But it really should be the death of ERP, long live EDO, so digital enterprise operations. If you see the, uh, the core supply chain, finance, payroll, human capital, what we think of as ERP, that is always surrounded by other applications, CRM, asset management, on and on and on. All of those are interrelated, all of them are interconnected, and you have to be looking at the full picture, not just one single part of that. So traditional ERP implementations have always been very siloed, and so you get very disconnected processes, very disconnected people, and very often facilities all over the world that have been really conducting their own uh, planning and execution of upgrades, of implementing new software solutions, 
to take care of certain business requirements, but they haven't been united. And they haven't really been looking at improving process in the way that will forward the organization, that will bring value to the organization, right? So we have an equation for that. It's new software plus old processes equals expensive old processes, EOP. So if you look at that strategy selection, phase zero preparation of the organization and program management along the way, that entire continuum, right? Then you really look at uh, a uh, different equation. New processes plus new technology equals digital enterprise operations. Digital transformation pillars that we look at in every organization that we come in contact with are all the same. It's going back to Eric's uh, diagram with all of the arrows. Uh, this is tried and true. It's been the same way for uh, the last five or six years. It's gonna be the same way for the next decade. The transformation enablers, process, technical, people, and business drivers, right? These are the transformation layers that allow us to get to exactly what is the plan going forward? What does our journey map look like over the next five, 10 years, that full, ter full term horizon? And how do we get there? So looking at the current state, future state, developing your business imperatives along the way, and also assessing your risk, and moving in that direction by selecting the right partners and then going into the, uh, into the implementation, prepared as an organization to be successful in that. So mapping the transformation journey is really the first part. And again, this happens before you've selected a vendor, or maybe you have a vendor that, uh, that may be something that is kind of a leading choice, or you may be looking at staying with your existing systems and processes and optimizing those existing systems and processes. Either case, you're gonna have a map that's gonna be showing how you start at the beginning, how you move all the way through that, and then you're gonna be managing to where you are in that journey all the way along and reporting that back to the, the key stakeholders in the organization, including your executive team. So all of this is a part of that preparation of the organization to move forward in a major undertaking. Most of the people we talk to are doing this for once in the next 20 years, right? Big decision, uh, big imperatives along the way, but also a big return on that total investment. Uh, part of that is understanding what your total cost of ownership is gonna be. And very often from a tactical standpoint, this is missed in the very beginning. People undertake a technology change for the sake of that technology change. They feel that processes are broken, that things are not working, and so they select a software vendor and they move forward into that stage one of digital transformation that we talked about. Unless you do a very deep dive total cost of ownership, understanding what your subscription costs are gonna be, how you're gonna be consolidating old systems and bringing them into the new system, how you're gonna be managing change, with your people, how you're gonna be backfilling some of your core team members, you're gonna want your best people working on your project team going forward. If that means hiring additional people or bringing in you know, managed services to support them in their roles, in their day jobs, 
then you have to do that in the background. You have to understand what that cost is going to be. So you have to understand your internal costs, your external costs, your, uh, your chief financial officers and CEOs are going to want to know from an operational standpoint what it's going to cost me, from a capital expenditure standpoint what it's going to cost me. And so putting together this type of an artifact and doing a very deep dive on exactly what it will cost happens before you choose a software vendor partner or vendors in terms of a hybrid solution because those can all be factored in later to really drill down to what the actual cost is going to be. But you have to, have, for your business case up front, understand exactly what this is going to look like going forward. So we were talking a little bit earlier about ROI. Two things. One is without the total cost of ownership or really a relative cost of ownership for any solution going forward, you can't establish what your return on investment is going to be. So that's, that's kind of a, a misunderstanding that I think has been propagated on the market, again, by software vendors because they tell you the best practices are going to produce this type of return on our software. They call it um, value engineering internally, right? But they use industry standards that uh, very often don't reflect what your business is going to go through in terms of this total cost. They don't reflect the internal cost for your teams to be dedicated to an implementation over the next couple of years. Um, it doesn't take into a lot into account a lot of the, the factors that you saw in the TCO modeling. So that has to go into offsetting the, uh, the formula here where the return has got to be based on your actual numbers, what you expect to save in time, in effort, in the value of the data that you're able to get out of the systems in the implementation of a, of, of a new software solution, right? And so much of this helps with not only justifying the project too, but also um, defining what the business value is and, and helping provide some governance around the, the implementation. Because if we know where the business value is and what the expected business benefits are, it becomes a lot easier to make project governance decisions around, you know, do we add that extra module? Do we customize the software? Do we do a third party bolt on? And make those game time decisions in the context of where's the business value. And if we can't deliver business value within that decision, then it's probably not the right decision to make. But if we can justify it with business value, then, then we can. So I think a lot of times organizations do a business case if they're lucky enough or if they're um, proactive enough to do one in the first place. Even those organizations will do a business case they get the sell in, or the, or the buy-in to sell the project, and they get the project approval, and then they sort of set the business case aside and then just start implementing without going back to it to sort of use it as a governance tool during the implementation. So there's a lot of short-term value that comes out of that in addition to that longer-term value as well. Okay, the uh, transformation readiness objectives. Essentially, you know, we've, we've gone through this quite a bit, and the, uh, the roadmap that you showed with the different chevrons, was really talking about these, these primary pillars as well, but strategic and executive alignment, operational readiness, technical readiness, people readiness, and project governance are all of the things that we intuitively know have to be set up up front, right? And again, I just keep pointing out that all of this happens before you choose a software vendor and before you choose a systems integrator. 
So this one is the people readiness. And since we're in London, I, I just kind of I gravitate back to Ben-Hur and some of the old, the old movies. I don't, I don't know why. But uh, we keep you alive to serve this ship. Row well and live. That's the force down approach to the people in the organization. You're telling them, this is where we're going to go, and this is how we're going to get there. That's not the way that we approach these things, right? That's not effective change management. As well as looking at the benefits and the business case for going into a, uh, into a implementation process, you also have to look at the uh, risks of what we've called here cliff diving into your digital transformation. That includes lack of a clear operational direction. System integrator takes control of your project. Again, we're talking about all these things that happen before your system integrator comes in. Once you choose a system integrator and a software system, when they come in, very often they'll tell you, this is the way that it ought to go. And this is what you ought to be doing. Very often, not knowing anything about your business, not knowing anything about the planning that's gone on in the, in the, in the beginning. Uh, decisions are being made while the meter is running on expensive consultants. Well, um, that's why up front you have to really prepare the organization for the implementation itself. Before the consultants, before the SI actually hits the ground and starts doing the implementation of the, of the software system, right? Technology drives your business rather than the other way around. Most organizations that reach that stage one uh, often make a technology choice and just go forward. Software vendor, systems integrator, are often running with the implementation. Without this preparation, you have the risk of doing a technology shift, or lift and shift as we used to call it, without actually getting any of the benefits that you're setting out to achieve with your business planning and with aligning the organization on the go forward. Uh, too much time and money spent on the project. This is the real main failure point for most implementations. I think you would agree, Eric, is when an implementation runs overly long, the only ones that benefit are the systems integrator that's putting consultants on the job and the software vendor because the software vendor doesn't have anything to lose with a long implementation term, right? So we need to make this as efficient as possible. Otherwise, projects are considered failures if they run way over budget, which equals way over time. Same thing. Uh, project team employee and executive frustration. No project is linear. If you end up without the upfront preparation, for instance, data cleansing, if you don't have the data cleansing, you have to back up. You have to do some of these things to, uh, to get the project back on track. You end up with huge fatigue in the organization. We're working on a five-year-long implementation right now that we were asked to come back in and rescue. Our remediation has taken six months. We've got it back on track for a go-live after five years in three months, three months hence. And um, that required just getting everybody back on board with everything that we're talking about from a change management and a you know, project involvement standpoint, and also backfilling some of the resources with other people so that they could spend the time required on the project. All of this staffing, the, uh, the change management aspect, everything going back into the go forward strategy for the implementation and beginning with your systems integrators 
and the software vendors at stage at phase one is what we call phase zero. We're here with Greg Benton talking about implementation readiness and the things you need to do to get ready for your implementation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break and continue the conversation. When we come back, we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that'll allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 150. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Thank you for being here today. We're in the middle of a conversation or playing you a presentation of Greg Benson from the third stage consulting team talking about implementation readiness. Let's jump back into the conversation. The partner for uh, first approach really is just all about choosing that software vendor or vendors. There may be many vendors in that uh, ecosystem that we talked about. Also, a few systems integrators. In many cases, there will be certified people that will be installing or implementing some aspects of the, the solution. For instance, a CRM that's different from an ERP system. You may have a different systems integrator or wrench turner uh, working on the CRM implementation at the same time that you're implementing core ERP over, over the rest of the organization. Managing all of those different pieces is, is really putting the, the client or the customer at the center and having everyone work in concert all the way through. Uh, we refer to this as a competency matrix. So bringing the right people together. I've, I've been saying this all the way through the presentation. Everything that we've been talking about, including organizational preparedness, happens before you have your systems integrator and your software vendor chosen. Generally, you'll, you'll pick the software vendor before you pick the systems integrator that's going to be implementing the solution, right? So all of that upfront piece is what we term advisory, so, uh, or it's internal to the organization itself. And if the internal organization has the wherewithal to have a program management office, to have leadership, as, as Logan's company does, that really understands exactly what needs to be done upfront, then you can get through the strategy and selection at the, at the very beginning, entering into phase zero, understanding exactly who your software vendor of choice is going to be. Again, putting together the, uh, the data migration plan that is going to be according to exactly which software vendor you're going to be implementing as your primary solution. 
Phase zero is really critically important to getting a good launch on the implementation itself. And again, the, uh, not again, but for the first time, the, uh, the competencies here, the software vendor absolutely knows the software. They absolutely know how to, how to troubleshoot all the cloud environments. They know the integration between their cloud solution and other cloud solutions, on-premise solutions and so forth. So the interoperability piece, they can manage very well and they have to manage very well. The technical implementation team really knows the software. They know the design build, uh, the upfront work that goes into the implementation itself. The phase one core competency belongs to the systems integrators, the technical teams. The platform providers, AWS, Azure, the software vendors themselves, Oracle, they have their own uh, cloud system. They absolutely know how everything works from provisioning all the way through go live and support of the applications on their cloud system. But they don't know anything about the upfront piece, about the, the, uh, your transformational goals. They don't know anything about the business planning that goes up front. Uh, they can't accomplish any of that for you. So what we try to bring together as a part of our mission control idea is all of these competencies into all phases of the project all the way through, including support after go live. That's one of the things that people don't think about very much. Uh, we talked a little bit about user adoption. User adoption and support post go live because your implementation technical team is gonna roll off, right? They're gone. And now you're left to support this on your own. That's gotta be figured out up front. That's all a part of phase zero. For instance, Oracle will do a lot of their own implementation. SAP does a lot of their own implementation. Infor almost always works with partners. I say almost because the LN and some of their CIS modules, they do themselves. And by the way, this, the software vendors don't do a very good job of professional services. So they like to capture that revenue, but they know nothing about organizational change, for instance. They know very little about training. They know very little about this upfront piece. They're not gonna be your partner in the very beginning putting together the business planning, putting together the strategy for the organization going forward. Uh, they're not gonna be a part of your long-term roadmap because as soon as you're done and you've signed your product order form and you're moving along with the software vendor, they're pretty much happy to be uh, in the background just saying, hey, how's it going? You know, um, anything that we can do for you? Any solution that we can provide? Because what you really need is more software. More software will fix your, your problem. So um, that's, <laughs> I, I, I get a little too critical of software vendors. They're actually, uh, they're wanting to do the right thing. They're just very sales driven. So um, that's, that's where some of the bad behavior comes from. NetSuite, Workday, um, I would say to some degree, uh, SAP um, do have their own self-governing um, quality assurance. The problem is the self-governing part. It is a little bit like the uh, fox in the hen house in terms of if you do run into a problem, they're gonna fix it internally before they, they say, you know, our, our project manager in this case is not doing a good job. 
um, they're going to do everything that they can to keep that project manager in place. Um, so they do provide that quality assurance piece, but it's a little bit disingenuous. This is, <laughs> this is a big list, and we're not going to get through it today. But it is an artifact that you all can use, that we all have vetted over uh, many, many implementations, many, many client engagements. And essentially, it's, it's setting up for success that is not guaranteed. If you go through each of these steps and you, you check each of these boxes along the way, there are like two more pages, and then we'll get to the end. Uh, we just don't have enough time to go through it. Um, it's everything that we've been talking about today. And there is more detail even underneath these bullets. But I can guarantee you, guarantee you, that if you don't go through a checklist like this, you have a very good chance of, of failure. So can't guarantee success, but I can guarantee f a failure if you don't do at least 90% of what we're talking about here. And this was just a statement that everyone should invest time determining exactly who their partners are going to be, both from the software vendor to the systems integrators to an advisory, if, if that's appropriate. And um, that's one of the keys to success as well. So if you look at the heat map, we've been talking about the organizational readiness assessment. The heat map um, identifies each of the departments in this particular organization that were issued a uh, questionnaire. The questions are across the top. They go from, you know, do you have confidence in our leadership team to chart a good direction? Uh, there are questions that you can read through and just and see that fine print, if you can do that. Um, but it provides a, uh, a heat map that we can look at and say, these departments and these level of in, this level of individuals, some of it is based on tenure. Some of it's based on level of um, seniority in the organization, uh, their position in the organization, whether they're you know, a VP, they're in sales, they're um, uh, somebody who's just working on the uh, shipping and receiving dock. And we determine exactly where the resistance to change is going to come, um, where they're not fully on board with the program going forward. And we're able to make changes in those departments, in those areas, with those individuals that are resistant to that change. And those recommendations came on the back of this. So the heat map charts out how everyone is doing in the organization, and the backside of it are the recommendations that came from those findings. So this is a, uh, a process and a methodology that we pursue as proprietary, but it's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a secret. It's just a, uh, a great way of managing the organization from an overall standpoint. So the question came up earlier, you know, how do you, how do you go about this uh, organizational readiness assessment? This is the, uh, the practical part of that. The processes, we keep talking about processes need to be changed, otherwise you end up with that equation that I was talking about. New software plus old processes equals expensive old processes. There are a couple of uh, firms out there that do a really good job of visualizing how these processes are mapped. So it's generally a Visio diagram type of a thing, but Salonis, Mavim, 
there are a number of partners that we've worked with in the past that do this through machine learning and AI to provide the map of these processes. And essentially, it's taking the, the lowest performing practice within, for instance, procurement, um, issuing a PO. So you follow along with the process of issuing that PO. You've got one clerk who uh, basically has the lowest performing level, and that's charted as, as kind of a low performance. The uh, highest performing level is charted as a high performance. And what you really want to get is you want to have a middle level performance so that everyone reaches a standard or achieves a standard of performance in that given work stream, right? And when we map that out and chart it like this, it becomes very visible in terms of what we need to do to affect change. And this is an incredible process. So when we talk about process mapping, this is really what we're trying to identify. Now we're using some technology instead of standing with a stopwatch, seeing how long it takes for somebody to do something. It used to be called time and motion studies. So <laughs> some of you that have been around as long as I have remember people standing with a stopwatch in manufacturing operations. Um, this does that automatically, and it's an incredible tool. Take some of the subjectivity out of discussions around current state business processes and, and future state to some degree, but primarily focusing on what all the variations are in your current processes and how long the processes are actually taking. A lot of times when you talk about it with the, in a workshop setting like this, you map it out on a, on a whiteboard, but then you have the data that actually shows what's actually happening. A lot of times it's very different pictures that are painted when you use actual data from the systems and technology that mines the actual processes compared to what people think is happening. It also helps you identify all the exceptions, you know, and all the variations, exceptions, and bottlenecks within a process. It also gives you training guidelines. So in order to improve processes, in many cases, you don't have to change the underlying technology. You know, in many cases, we identify things like this. Logan, when we were in that workshop, we were identifying all sorts of things that people were going, wow, we could change that tomorrow. We don't, we don't need to change systems. We just... We need to do things better. <laughs> so anyway, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Greg. Good stuff. That was a really good overview of implementation readiness. And hopefully it gives the audience some things to think about as it relates to uh, implementation and getting ready for your implementation. Um, this has been a really information filled episode. So I hope it's been useful to the audience here today. Um, really wanted to dive into as much as we could in one episode to talk about implementations and what it is you need to do to be thinking about as you get ready for a software implementation. So hopefully this helps you and your teams as you get into your, your implementations here in 2024 and beyond. Um, you can always, as always, learn about our different implementation resources on our website by going to thirdstage-consulting.com. We have tons of resources out there and downloads and videos and white papers and things you can download that are meant to help you through uh, the implementation process. And in particular, you can check out, um, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, you can check out um, 20 lessons from 1000 implementations. Um, that's a great uh, starting point if you want to dive into this in a little bit more detail from what we talked about here today. So be sure to check that out. You've got the QR code here in front of you, or you can go to the links below uh, to download that, that resource. So I want to thank you all for being here today. We'll be back uh, next week, as we always are uh, on Wednesday with more Transformation Ground Control. Hope you have a great week in the meantime, and we'll see you soon on Transformation Ground Control. Take care.
that. Say hi. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Just how I looked at the looked at the empty chair. Yeah, now I saw cut, that. Now it can cut to both of us, but now the problem is these yeah. guys are not going to be in the background and when we cut to them, but that's okay. 